Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. Oh, we're live? Yep. We're doing it live. He's back. He's back. <laughs> no, this is not Lucas Clark. This is your former host, Tanner Rutz. <laughs> <laughs> Glad you had that in the hopper. Man, that was cool. That's all I really got for you guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. <laughs> thanks for joining us. <laughs> I'll let Luke go back to his uh, his real job of being the host. No, uh, we are back. What episode are we on? Is this 19 now? Number 19. Yep, 19. Um. Do, do we still do uh, uh, the, uh, what was it, the bologna sandwich uh, guy of the week for us? Two chunks of bologna, a pair of Wonder Bread slices, a moist layer of mayonnaise, all mixed in with a little bit of lettuce, cheese, and tomato. Who gets your honorary bologna sandwich of the week? Lunch Whistle Special, let's go. We haven't done one we in a while, but I'm going to start off with that immediately. Uh, the entire Chargers defense and special teams got me two big dubs in fantasy <laughs> tonight. <laughs> so you're giving it to Zach Wilson then? Yeah, I'm actually giving it to Zach bum. Wilson. Yeah, for being an absolute bum and uh, getting sacked 12 times in one game. No one said it could be done. I mean, based off his performance, you would think he just got off his union job and <laughs> just got, got thrown into a Jets jersey. Yeah, he had his bologna sandwich for lunch, and they're like, your quarterback of the New York Jets today. Who, me? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's where I'm throwing. Uh, I, I, like I said, I don't know if that's a segment we still do, but I'm going to bring it back and just say thank you to Zach Wilson and to the Chargers defense and special teams. I was up against the ropes in both fantasy leagues I'm in. Both leagues, I was like 10% chance of winning. Like, I needed a bit, I needed 26 points from the defense basically on both, uh, both leagues. And they just came out just doing damage. I think tonight they came out with eight sacks, two fumble recoveries, and a punt return for a touchdown. So a big win for Tanner that keeps him in the playoff race. Tanner, and, Tanner, Tanner. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. It's like, you know, everyone was out there telling me I couldn't do it. I couldn't win in fantasy, that my team uh, couldn't lead the way with Drake London and Christian Watson. But you know what? I'm proving everyone wrong. Hey, out here define, define Yahoo! Yahoo said I was going to win one game this year, and I just notched number four uh, this week. So I'm I'm wow. you know four x what they what they projected. Everyone said my team done. was going to be horrible, and boy were they right. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes they do get it right. Yeah, you know that's I, I've been compared to Aaron Rodgers for years. We've always had a lot of similarities, and I think that's something that both him and I are both doing is define at, like all odds. You know, he's going to come back from his Achilles injury with his uh, modern-day medicine that he's created, and I'm going to win the fantasy championship with the team that I came up with that Maddie said it couldn't be done. I'm in- just I'm just surprised that he's showing his face on the sidelines, honestly, and not in a dark room somewhere uh, healing his Achilles. It seems like that would be the more effective treatment. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but... Well, injury is a state of mind, okay? <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers proves that every day. Fair point. Here's a question I do have. Um, 
it's a little off topic, so I don't want to go too in depth with this. And it might just be an immediate no for the answer. But I thought about this before because we saw Aaron Rodgers on Hard Knocks, how he was kind of taking the mentor role and like he was always having the headset on during the preseason games. And now he's still attending these games with the headset on and he is getting closer to retirement. Do you think there's any way that he might find his way into a coaching position later on? Because he is also a guy that wants power and have a say. I don't think so. I mean, I think we kind of touched on this before in talking about Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets and that whole situation is that it all very much seemed like a like image rehab move where he had always been like kind of testy with the Packers management and then he works his way out of Green Bay to go to the Jets and he immediately takes like a pay cut like see see how I'm a good guy and I do things for the team and I put the team above myself and then as you mentioned like having the headset on during hard knocks and looking like the guy that has no problem mentoring his backup he has 17 years in the NFL or whatever where he proved that that is not the type of person he is which I don't really have an issue with it's just the facts and now now that he's in New York he's like oh yeah I'll take a pay cut I'll do this I'll do that I'll be the company man it all seems kind of fake in my mind that he's just trying to be like no I am this good guy that will do all the thing all these things at his core that's not really who he is and I don't think coaching is going to be the avenue for him he's also a guy who always he is a very smart football player but he also is one of the most uniquely talented players that has ever played the game how well does that translate to coaching somebody who doesn't have your same ability i don't know i just don't see it i could see him on like a high school sideline screaming at some children some 15 year olds well i could see that you know telling them telling them uh that they suck and that they should be able to huck the ball you know, over the mountains or something in his glory days uh yeah i don't i don't see it either i think maybe he's Right now, he's thinking he wants that, maybe, but I just don't. I just don't see that happening. I could. I'd see him. I feel like I could see him being like in the press box before I'd see him being a coach. Yeah, like he seems like the type of guy that wants to wants to go make ten million a year. He likes the talk, attention. Yeah, exactly. He wants to be on TV and and talking about football more than whether that's in the press box or that's working for ESPN or something, you know, something like that. I, I would see that before, before him going and doing the thankless coaching job situation. So yeah, I, I don't see He that. also strikes me as a guy, or at least he tries to present himself this way that he has a lot of interests outside of football that immediately like tying himself to more intense football by being a offensive coordinator, QB coach, whatever that role is. Just doesn't really seem like his vibe. Maybe being in the in the press box and doing commentating or being on Pat McAfee's show where he can still get exposure and talk about the game, but it's pretty low stakes. Seems like he probably has enough interest outside of football. He's like, no, that's what I want to do in my off time is do yeah. ayahuasca and sit in a dark room or go do other crazy fun things <laughs> that are fulfilling and I'll have a little sprinkle of football here or there by talking about it the only slight thing i could kind of see with it is it, it i guess it comes down to it, he has shown that he doesn't really care about this but i think it comes down to winning and like winning super bowls and he hasn't done much of that in his career and right now he's not going to do it this year maybe he comes back next year and has another shot at it 
But that might be the only thing I could you see. You mean in three weeks? <laughs> yeah, sorry. In three <laughs> weeks, he comes back to try to bring the Jets back to a Super Bowl. But maybe if he has, like, some kind of drive there. And that's what I, I kind of say, like, right now, I think he might want in his head. He kind of wants that. Like, maybe he thinks that's why he went to the Jets in the first place. He's picking a team, like, where am I going to go? Where can I go in a Super Bowl this year? Who has a good defense? Who, like, a couple of talented spots around it. So if he doesn't do that, maybe he thinks he wants to be a coach and try to go get that Super Bowl on the coaching side of things. But I just don't like long term. I don't see him being a good fit for that. It's just like Josh McDaniels just got ran out of ran out of uh, um, the Raiders. <laughs> it's like I I foresee that being the same thing. It's like he's not a leader a leader in that sense. I don't think that people are gonna. Like he's, I don't think he's a great coach that's going to be well respected in in my mind. So yeah, he's going to be like, I'm the smartest guy in the room, and I have you know this many MVPs to show to show for that. So that's how you know that. And I, I just don't see people following him on as a coach. Yeah, one last little point on that because we've probably already talked more than we needed to about Aaron Rodgers. But the one thing I would say is that. Even as a as a head coach, it's pretty far fetched. But you know, as a head coach, you're a little bit more of the like CEO type person. But I think it would be disrespectful to the process that most coaches go through. Is that he wouldn't come in as an offensive coordinator for his first job? Like you probably need to put five plus years, probably working. Your, you can maybe come in as a special assistant. Then maybe you're the QB coach. It's not like he. I don't want to disrespect the guy, but. These guys take a long time to get to the point that they're qualified to be an NFL OC. I don't think he has a full playbook ready in his back pocket. It's like, you hire me as the OC, I'm going to be some revolutionary play caller day one. It's in his mind. He was in the <laughs> he was in his ayahuasca retreat writing the book. Uh, it's just, he needs to download it into PDF form. <laughs> Plug himself in. I hadn't considered that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um... Cool. I think we should just dive right into it, right? Uh, we got quite a bit to, to unload about with the Seahawks and Huskies. And so why don't you guys just give me a quick breakdown of what you guys saw yesterday with the uh, with the Seahawks versus the Ravens. Dog water? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I had to put uh, two words to describe that game, it would be dog water, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting because at least as we stand right now after that loss to the Ravens, the season has been bookended by inexplicable losses during the Pete Carroll era, like two of his worst losses, first game of the season against the Rams. And now this one, everything in between has kind of had some ebb and flow to it and good times and bad times. But those two games really stand out as by far the worst games, not only this season, obviously, but even in coach Carroll's tenure as a Seahawks coach, they're kind of, I expected the Ravens to give the Seahawks problems. It's on the road all the way on the other side of the country. The Ravens are good. Yeah. That that was something Still. that was something that I was not really expecting at all. Maybe a 10-point loss, not an absolute. Yeah. That was that like was that. one of those rare games that especially with the Seahawks that you just knew they were out of it. Like at halftime it was like I had most most of the time with the Seahawks, it's like even if they're down 10, 17, something like that, it's like I still got like a little bit of faith that they could actually come back from it just from what you saw in that 
in the first half of that game, and then it's like the very first drive offensively in the second half. It's like nothing changed. There's there's no chance that this game is uh, they're coming back from that. Well, you even thought so. you thought for a second in that game because it was kind of looking that way very early on, and then they strip Odell Beck. They score right before halftime, right? The Seahawks do, and then they kick off, and then they end up stripping Odell Beckham and get the ball right back. Yeah, in score in like. Okay, like this is exactly what you needed before halftime. And then Gina You've been... goes negative twenty on getting sacked multiple times. And he got like, he got oh. strip sacked too, right? Yeah, he got strip sacked there, and then all of a sudden Baltimore has the ball in field goal range when you just had the ball with a chance to steal points. And yeah, you always got to have faith that they're going to come out with a better effort in the second half. But it kind of felt like right at that moment once we somehow managed to not score and instead give them points right back. That's like, man, they're going to have their hands full the rest of the game. And they kind of rolled over. It was kind of disappointing that didn't think they were going to win that game by like once the second half started, but figure you at least come out with a spirited effort. Maybe you can make it a one score game or a 10 point game late where you have a chance to make a big turnover and maybe turn the tides, but it just kind of rolled over. Yeah, and I think a big part of that is just you couldn't sustain any drives. It was it was just three and out punt, three and out turn, you know, turnover punt, turnover punt, punt, punt. Um, yeah, they had six total first downs in the game uh, versus Baltimore's twenty nine total first downs in the game. Tough to uh, win. Forty minutes of possession for the Ravens versus our twenty minutes of possession. So, I, I don't know. You know, the defense, you can't, they didn't have their best game, but up until halftime, they were keeping you in it. Or even the first couple drive, drive or two of the second half, they were at least giving you a chance to do something. But the offense just looked non-existent. <laughs> they just had nothing going. The only play you really had was, if it's not for that 50-yard play to DK right before the half, you were held to less than 100 yards of total offense in the game. Yeah, it was half but your pr- yards on one play. Pathetic. Yeah. And... Ken Walker never really got going. Charbonnet, how many carries did Charbonnet have? You, you not ran. many. Did he have two or three carries? He might have. Had four, he might have had four when it was all said and done. Yeah. But yeah, nothing to write home about. Yeah, there's just not really a whole lot of uh, good to say about that game. That's for sure. I just don't. You know, I just don't know what. Uh, how much more shit we can talk about Gino. <laughs> and and I got a know, pretty good idea. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's it's just. At this point, it's either either he looks decent, or he looks like he the Seahawks are the worst offense in the NFL, and there's kind of not really much in between. So, what do you guys think? Take Geno Smith out of it for a second. What do you think? In order for the Seahawks to bounce back from a loss like this, what do you think need? What needs to be most improved at this point? What needs to be the big change? Outside of Geno? Yeah, outside of I mean, Gino. it's got to be the offensive line, right? We Don't worry. I will get around to bashing Geno and have <laughs> have some uh, larger format problems that Geno has over the course of the season. But if we're going to be fair to him a little bit, the offensive line has been not very good. And now, obviously, the Ravens have a really good defense. Historically good, I think, so far through the season. Yeah. So that's a tough matchup, but... Like I said, they couldn't get Ken Walker or Charbonnet going. Part of that's on the offensive line. Like, those guys are talented. If you hand them the ball, they should be getting yards. And 
Yeah, there wasn't much room. To Part of that is that they never got into a rhythm where I feel like they could really establish the run game. So that's an issue too. But offensive line, they look good at times, but they look very beat up and not good at other times. I honestly, I said it when the game started, is that I didn't realize that Phil Haynes was back this week. I'm still not sure that he was back because I, I didn't see him block anybody. I honestly don't think he's our best right guard. Anybody else like the uh, Brad Bradbury or Bradford or whatever the guy we got out of LSU, the rookie, I honestly think he looks better. Yeah. You yeah. Would, you would hope if, that getting Phil Haynes back, you would be a little more sure up front. But every time I see him in there, I feel like he's just getting beat. Forsyth isn't very good at right tackle, but like you kind of know that he's not supposed to be your starter. Yeah, you'd, but you'd at you'd least hope for it. some help from the right guard next to him and you got your the guy that you didn't pay him that much but you paid him in the offseason to be your starting right guard and he's been in and out of the lineup when he's out we look better yeah i i'm just kind of i mean the whole thing's a bit confusing because it's like you played you played the browns two weeks ago who also have a you know one of the the best defenses in the nfl and you looked fine. You barely like you had a couple times where at the end of the game where Miles Garrett kind of gave you a little bit of trouble, but like overall you, you for the most I mean, part he was silent. In he that was game. silent in Miles that game. Garrett was pretty yeah. much yeah at the very end. I think you got game. a sack that was like you know that was about it. That was the only time you saw him all game, and so it's it's just hard to imagine you went from like looking like that against a really good defense one week, which you didn't really look all that good, to be honest, but at least the blocking looked good most of that game versus this game where blocking did not look very good, but also Gino just, how many how many balls did Gino throw into people's hands? And I know that's not entirely, throw into defenders' hands, like get knocked yeah. down. I mean, I saw, there were, I think I counted four, five, six. I mean, he had three batted balls in the course of about six attempts. So yeah. it's basically every other throw for <laughs> yeah. for a stretch was getting batted down. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I don't remember seeing that many balls batted down in any single game ever. <laughs> like, I've seen like two or three maybe, and it's frustrating. But like, as many as there were yesterday, I feel like it was, it was... A, you know jarring <laughs> like there's no way that these guys are are that spectacular at batting the ball down and i, I so i i don't know what was going on with that if it was just like we were afraid to go we just had nothing going over the top so we had to throw everything low and underneath but even then it's like step into the pocket and and find an angle and i so i don't know i just i just don't think there was anything positive offensively in that game like i mean the 159 total yards tells you that so yeah there was nothing there's nothing good to to talk about statistics support that statistics support it um and yeah i I just i'm I'm looking here too i think you had 12 or 12 or 13 total rush attempts in the game i mean that's yeah and i mean we said this before is that you get i get that you're down but said this a million times before is that ken walker is just as liable to get you a 40 yard play as any pass attempt so i don't know that being down in the game and needing to like conserve clock and try to take shots downfield how that's more applicable to your passing game than your running game yeah like ken walker can go get you a toss him the ball and he can get you 40 yards just as quickly as dk metcalf can get a 50 yard catch 
Yeah, and I, I I don't remember, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you can tell me otherwise, but I don't recall seeing anything to like move the pocket or do anything. It's like, do you remember one time where we ran a toss? Like we've been kind of running that little LSU toss to Walker yeah, a little bit, pitch. a little quick pitch. It's like didn't see that, didn't see anything, any running plays that were to the edge. Like I know they're a fast defense, but like didn't see you try it. Didn't see you try to roll Geno out to like get some space because instead of throwing it into the defend the D lineman's hands every time. Maybe we move it to the outside and try to get some kind of movement going across and get people open. Like, I don't remember seeing anything happen. And it's like, how did we not try at least some of that? <laughs> because clearly what was happening wasn't working. It, standing in the pocket and throwing it into the DBs or the D lineman's hands every time wasn't the answer or throwing it to the DBs. I guess we did that a, little, a couple of times too. It does seem like that's a little bit of a Shane Waldron, too, really. That yeah. It just wasn't a really good game script for what your opponent was. Yeah, and then it it's... Like, their offense the entire game was underwhelming with the play calling, too. Like, yeah, and it kind of it, it kind of brings me back to what Luke said earlier with the that Rams game. Very similar, where it was like, you came or you played that game and it looked like you had no idea what kind of offense you had and what kind of weapons you had. Like, you just came in and were like, well, we're just going to... We're just gonna step back and hit a three-step drop and see what's see what happens and run it right up the middle, right in the a, a gap every time. And it's like, sure didn't look like it was working to me. Yeah, well, to that point, it's a, it's got to be equal parts Gino and Shane Waldron, or maybe they're unequal parts. And yeah, somebody who watches the tape more can tell me what the percentage of the pie is for each of them. But I tease this stat before we started recording now through eight games in the season outside of week two against Detroit where we scored a bunch of points in the second half and week three against the one win Panthers where we scored a bunch of points we have zero points against the Rams and we have two total touchdowns in the second half of games and one of those is a Devin Witherspoon pick six against Danny Dimes and the Giants we have one touchdown and that was to Jackson Smith and Jigba for the game winner against the Browns the week prior. So what week was that since? Week the entire season. Well, we had we also had the we also had a touchdown against uh, a game winning touchdown against uh, Detroit too. So Nigel wasn't listening, but I'll repeat in case the listeners weren't. Is that outside of Detroit and outside of the Panthers week two and three? Where we've scored multiple touchdowns in the second half in those games. All other games we have. Two total touchdowns, one being yes. a Devin Witherspoon pick six and the other being a Jackson Smith and Jigba game-winning touchdowns. We have a few field goals in a couple of those games, but even that, I think off the top of my head, it's like three or four field goals in the second half. We're talking, what did I just say? It's eight So over six games, we have one offensive touchdown and maybe three or four field goals. So it it really tells me is that whether it's, what the percentage is of Gino or Shane Waldron. And we've kind of said this before on the podcast, Gino always looks good on the script to open the game teams adjust in game plan. And we have no answer offensively when teams adjust. And personally, I think that Gino is a big part of that because I think he very much looks like the mediocre quarterback that he is that when everything is going right, his pass protection is good. The run game is working he can hit open receivers and keep the offense like kind of clicking. But when things get 
tough and the defenses adjust and everything isn't going his way, he has no ability to make an adjustment. Because, like, you can't always just blame the play calling. Like, and I'm not saying that he's a horrible quarterback, but, you know, that's what puts you as a quarterback that's 15th to 20th best in the league. You're just another guy. You're not good enough that when things aren't going script perfect, that you have the talent and ability to go make plays. That's why people like Caleb Williams in the draft, right? That's why people like that have huge draft stocks. like, when in doubt, this guy can make plays. Gino is just not that guy. And some of that's probably on Shane Waldron and the play calling. You got to, if you know that you don't have that guy, you got to find ways to get plays that are idiot proof. And he hasn't really shown an ability to do that. But I, I'm, I'm worried about this Seahawks offense because per the stats I just gave is like, they have no ability to score outside of their opening drive, basically. I mean, last year, the second half of the season, you saw a drop off in Geno's production. You could tell that defenses were adjusting to what he was doing in the beginning of the season. And I think you're just seeing what was going on last year at the end, just basically rolling from the start of the season. Yeah. Just rolling right into it. I mean, because really, like, have you seen any real productive, great game out of Geno Smith this entire season? I think he had a good game against Detroit. Yeah, like I yeah. said earlier, I think he's I think he's thrown for three hundred yards in a couple of games, but like, but yeah, that's like, where, But it's like we go back to what you were saying earlier before we even start recording. It's like the eye test. Like, yeah, there's stats that kind of show like on paper that he looks decent, he looks good, but then you watch it and you just it just seems like a slow tempo, or you're just like you just feel frustrated watching him throughout the entire game. Yeah, like I said, you can stats can be deceiving. You can look at it on paper and be like, oh well, Gino had. 280 yards passing and two touchdowns and no picks. But you could also, like I said, look at the stat where it's like your offense scored three points in the second half against the Arizona Cardinals who yeah. are not a good defense. And it's like getting sacked for, for negative 15 yards on second down and then throwing on third and 25, throwing a 20 yard pass. Like, yeah, I guess you got 20 yards passing on that play, but that's not, that's not a, that's how you sustain drives. And is the sack his fault? Hard to say sometimes. Sometimes it's bad blocking. Sometimes it's him holding the ball. But I think the stat scoring is the only stat that I care about at the end of the day. I would be curious to see what our like what our red zone efficiency is. I don't have it up in front of me, but I'm guessing it's very bad. <laughs> Just because how many field goals we've we've had to kick. Like maybe on the first drive it's fine. But even even then I feel like we still kicked a lot of field goals on like Oh, like opening drive, maybe the second drive you finally pushed. I wouldn't be shocked if it was decently high because much like the Jimmy Lake Huskies, our touchdown percentage was pretty high because we got there so few times. And a lot of our touchdowns actually came from outside of the red zone. I just feel like we've gotten a lot of field goals and not a lot of touchdown. Um, So with all that said, I mean, do you guys think, well, first off, were you guys surprised to see that they didn't give Drew Locke some snaps? Like at the end of that game with like eight minutes left and you knew it was over. I thought that was honestly shocking. And with all the Geno Smith hate I'm giving, it's, I'm not shocked that they didn't play Drew Locke because it's like, Geno sucks. You got to get Drew Locke some snaps because maybe you need to make a quarterback replacement. It's like, no, if you think Geno is your guy and he's good and you paid him like that, then you should take him out in that game because you don't want him to get hurt. Plus, yeah, I think, why it, does it, I think it says more. I think it says more about 
how they feel about Gino that they kept him in there. I think that's then, a good point. Then, then uh, like, we need else. to see something from. It's like we need to see, like you need to go put up a drive that's effective right now. Like we need to see this happen. Our offense like, needs work here, yeah, and you exactly. got to you got to show that you can figure something out here. Yeah, you've you've been good for three points. Like let's let's get a drive that moves down the field. So I think it says more about how they feel about Gino that they kept him in there versus putting lock in to like take some garbage time snaps. So I'm QB controversy question mark. I don't know. I doubt it. Yeah, but probably not. Well, that was the next thing I was going to ask is, do you think drew lock sees just a few more snaps this week in practice? Not saying there's going to be any kind of change anytime soon or even this season, but do you think he starts getting a few more reps? I mean, what's the actual long-term quarterback solution for the Seahawks? Like what's next? Like, cause I can't imagine Geno Smith is realistically, the guy next year i mean well maybe if things improve but maybe maybe you think depending on how this season goes i would still think that if you're john schneider and pete carroll that you still think that you're going to be a playoff team i mean you're still five and three you were until you lost this game you were first in the nfc west so it's not like the sky is falling but i do think there are some real concerns but wipe that game away charge forward, beat the commanders, like everything will be back on track. But, you know, there could still be some hope that you find yourself in that mid-20s pick, a playoff team. If this is allegedly a quarterback-heavy draft. Maybe you find somebody in the 20s be like, you're going to sit behind Geno next year. You you know, you still have Geno under contract. Get a guy that might be a little bit of a development and maybe that's your answer. Do we have a name yet? Do you guys already have names to drop? Not really, because... Michael Penix. This is your opportunity to be the first one to say it before ESPN catches up to you guys. Just well, like I, called AR. I mean, I'd love uh, I'd love uh, Michael Penix, but, I mean, much like the AR pick, is that I don't think he's going to be around where the Seahawks draft, assuming that they're, in the, they're no higher than top 10, top 12, you know? So I don't... I don't really know. I don't like the kid from Michigan, uh... JJ McCarthy McCarthy yeah but you know he could he could be a guy or Bo Bo Nix who's the kid from Tennessee um yeah uh Milton Milton Joe Milton Milton could be a possibility he's He's kind of he's kind of of 15 light light. so so that that could be something but I I think there's going to be names that if the Seahawks want to get into I think Bo Nix is actually an interesting one in a weird way. I, yeah, I, I hate the guy, but I, he yeah. could be exact. He's kind of, I feel like he's kind of Russell Wilson. Yeah. And the guy, the guy's going to be 25 years old by the time he takes a snap for the yeah. Seahawks. You yeah. know, the guy has, he's going to have almost 60 career starts by the end of this season in college. I'd say he's kind of like, he almost kind of reminds me for, for maybe not Russell Wilson, but uh, like maybe like a, a Jalen Hurts type. Almost like very not nearly the runner, yeah, but he not is nearly capable. the runner, but he's capable of running. He's still like strong and a strong runner. They haven't used him to run as much this year either. Like True. he can run more than he has. I think they're trying to keep him healthy. I think that's a concerted effort on their part. But he kind of reminds me of a little bit of a Jalen Hurts type. That he's more of like known as a game manager too. Like that's kind of his his play and how he how they're having him do it now. He's come to Oregon and and opened up the off or you know, like he passes a little bit more I think than he did at other spots. Although he's been at passing offenses too. He was at Ole Miss that they pass a lot. So Auburn. Uh, yeah, Auburn. 
Auburn as well. Yeah, he was. He wasn't at Ole Miss. What? He went from Auburn to Oregon. Oh, did he go straight? Okay, I was thinking he but, went one year. Anyway, so I don't. I don't want to get too far down the yeah. court because we <laughs> we will do an entire podcast on draft and stuff. The one thing I'll say is that. Bo Nix, I don't think that's a crazy thought that the Seahawks might try to draft him, but I think I just saw this before we got on, is that it was more like a Heisman comparison thing. Bo Nix is like 134th in the country in average air yards per attempt. He's having a nice season. He mostly throws screen passes, check downs, short yardage throws. Like I said, he's literally in the 130s in average air yards, whereas Michael Penix is like number one in the country, which I think most talent scouts would say, yeah, most, if you've played 50 career college games, you better be able to hit a fucking screen pass by now. Okay. Well, the Seahawks still haven't had a quarterback. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's also why it's a lot harder (laughs) in the NFL to be effective on those plays. Maybe this is the perfect pick. We'll finally have a guy that can throw a screen. (laughs) Yeah, well, I see. I don't want that he has, because he has thousands of reps. They already only passes. they they limit Jackson Smith and Jigba basically to only bubble screen. So I don't want a quarterback that's only going to exacerbate that thing. I want to see Jackson Smith running routes downfield. So if we get Bo Nix, then he'll be just destined for bubble screens and shit like that that I don't want to see him do. Yeah, I just wanted to give you guys the opportunity on November sixth to start already talking about future draft picks. Start throwing names out. But, yeah, I think you guys already called it Bo Nix. First-round pick next year for the Seattle Seahawks. So you can write it down right now. I, I wouldn't say first-round pick. Yeah, you can get him in, like, the second or third round. Yeah. I think I think that's a pretty solid yeah. pick. But, again, he, he might he might not even last that long. Yep. Uh, all right, well, you guys go Seahawks. Ready to move on? Anything else you want to throw I'll, out there? I'll just throw one last note. Okay. Is that – this game, I think, is very depressing, and like I said at the beginning, it's like it's an interesting part in the season. You're basically halfway through. Now it's 17 games, so technically you're not halfway through with eight games played. But it's interesting that you have very bookend games, first game against the Rams, most recent game against the Ravens, where you had just two god-awful games. I'm not selling on this team. I still think that they're good. It's kind of doom or gloom right now with Howard because it's just the worst loss that we've seen in a long time, but they still have the parts. They still should be able to run the football. They have a good defense, even if they didn't have their best day, but it's hard to have your best day when the the other team has 40 minutes of time of possession. You're not going to play well. There's no, there's no defense that's ever been created. They could be on the field for two thirds of the game and be elite the entire time. I don't even think the defense really looked that bad all in all, it's just like you said, like, what can you do at that point? It's just the wear and tear of that game. I saw that they had, like, 14 missed tackles, which is, like, half of what they had had for the entire season leading up to that point. Or, like, they had 24 missed tackles or something heading into the game, and they had 12 in this game alone. So, yeah. So, they had a so it wasn't a good game. It, but the Seahawks. That's so what happens when you're tired. When the Seahawks are in the gym and they look at themselves in the mirror, they see Baltimore Ravens. Like it's kind of they're kind of like that's the exact team that they want to be when they when they're pumping their iron and like looking good in the gym. Like it's Lamar Jackson, who's a very very good version of Geno Smith. Like actually can run, can hit. You know, actually a good top five in the league, top ten definitely quarterback, which Geno's not. And like. Defense, best in the league, runs the ball, even when they have bums who, like, who's the third string running back is going off for 150 yards against you, but they're still dedicated to run the ball on you. Like, 
that's who the Seahawks want to be. So I don't think it's a good matchup for them in general to go against that exact same style because they're not there yet. <laughs> and, like, they just are – they're going through a rebuild still at this point. Like, they're doing a good job of it, and they're probably going to be a playoff team. But they're not there yet to what to what the Ravens are. So – one, one, one more last, last note. <laughs> I'll probably keep doing this for another 30 minutes of content. But this has to do with Geno and the offense as a whole. Is that And Shane Waldron and like where I just don't understand some of their schemes here. Is that they came out early in the season running a lot of, uh, I guess as the experts would call it, 12 personnel. Two tight ends on the field. One running back. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm watching that game and it feels like they got away from that a lot where they only have one tight end on the field. And it really doesn't make sense to me is that part of it is, like we said before, is that Geno is getting sacked a lot and the offensive line isn't very good. That's fair. Part of that is I watched Geno and the guy looks like through eight games in the season, he he hasn't gotten the memo that his offensive line isn't giving him Michael Penix amount of times to stand back there and make throws. Like, you have to make quick decisions. You have to know. You have to be able to feel the pass rush. On top of that, why isn't Will Disley on the line blocking every pass play? Or if not every pass play, close to every pass play. Because, like, you can't protect your quarterback. You have Will Disley, who is arguably the best blocking tight end in the NFL. Why is he not being used for that? It, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. You don't, If your offensive line was A1 – Sure, spread out the offense a little bit more, but like you've clearly shown that you don't have that ability to really protect Geno very well. Why aren't you utilizing a guy like Will Disley or even Colby Parkinson? Noah Fant should probably be out there catching passes, but even he can block somebody in a pinch, at least be chipping a lot more. Yeah. That was kind of the Give point him an I was outlet. trying to get at earlier with the Browns games. Like, seemed like we were still like. I don't know the exact numbers, don't have it in front of me, but I think we had multiple passes to tight ends in that game. I know Disley was chipping Miles Garrett. That's a big reason why he was a non-factor in the game is because Disley's hitting him every single play. On the sack, he, I think he got chipped and knocked like five yards back by Disley and then comes back in and makes <laughs> makes the tackle on it because Gino held it forever. So it's like, why was that not the, not the game plan against the Ravens who are – a better defense and a better D line overall. Better all around yeah, front exactly. seven. Better all around front seven. So yeah, it makes no sense to me why you didn't move the pocket. You didn't do anything to help. Point being is I expect to see a lot more two tight end sets, but it's, it feels like they got away from that and they're going to get back to it. And hopefully that improves the running game and the passing game, but yeah. they got stuff to work on. Yeah, and I mean, that might be the benefit of a blowout loss, too. It starts to expose a lot of things that you may not have seen or wanted to accept earlier. And so maybe that'll open things up where they can make some big adjustments that need to be done. Yeah. Get, Hopefully it'll be that game. Yeah, you got to look you yourself back, in the mirror. Yeah, you get back to kind of grading yourself on things and be like, wow, we should be doing this. All right, let's move on to Huskies football. Why don't you guys give me a breakdown of that game and how they just keep on rolling by, man. Get out. Still number five, but... They're uh, they're rolling through. Yeah, yeah. Luke just t- took his shirt off because he's really excited about yeah, this. Hold, hold on, I gotta take my. All right, Nigel's shirt <laughs> is off as well. Yeah, I mean, just give me the breakdown of the game. Like, what'd you guys think? What'd you see? What'd you love? What'd you hate? <sighs> Let's see. What I, I'll start with what I loved. Um, number one thing, running game was outstanding. Um, 
and just the offense in general was outstanding. It was good to after we've I know we've been off a couple of weeks here, had some sh- had some shit going on, so we couldn't record, but had a couple of real nail biter weeks, especially offensively. Um, and so it was good that it was good to see the offense kind of clicking again and, um, you know, putting up, was it 51, 52, whatever it was. Yeah. 52. So that was awesome. I mean, Dylan Johnson had game, game of his life, probably 240 something yards, 256, 256. Yeah. yeah, Cause him and Penix both had 256 yards. Right. So, yeah. So that was, that was awesome. Um, I mean, we just pretty much ran at will on them all day, which was cool to see. It's been a while since I can't remember a Husky team that uh, maybe back in like the Chris Polk days, there might have been a game or two like that. I think like I think Polk against, had two eighty four against the Cougs. Against the Cougs, yeah, I was gonna say in he, Pullman. And I think Gas had a couple of game like he had a game like that, pretty close to that two something against against the Cougs also, and maybe a couple games where, but it's. It's been a minute, even though we went through an era of uh, the Huskies only running the ball out of I-form, and that was their only situation with uh, Jimmy Lake. I don't remember a game that was that dominant uh, running the ball. So that was fun to see. Um, so that was my that's my number one like. Uh, it was, you know, another good game from Penix, I thought. he, I, I thought he had a good game the week before, too. Um, we kind of talked about that off air a bit. I think there were a lot of people that were skeptical, but – um, he still threw for, you know, 307 Three, yards. 360 or something. Yeah, 360-something and, and four touchdowns. And everyone was giving him a hard time for having a bad game um, just because he didn't throw for 400 yards in two and a half quarters. So, um, people, that's not realistic. Let's get with the let's get with the uh, the program here. But, yeah, so I thought he had a good, like, effective game. Every time we needed a big throw, he hit it. Um, like, at the end of the half there that big one to uh to uh Culp was was huge on the on the touchdown uh throwing back across his body that was pretty sick um yeah and then overall i mean yeah offense gets their roses also thought it was uh cool that for those who don't know uh, ZTF DN his father died last week and decided even though he didn't really want to play decided to go out there and play be with the team and gets a strip sack at the end of the half that the Huskies then convert to points in the final minute of this of the first half which ultimately is about why we won the game pretty much that was pretty much the Big different turning point. yeah the turning point in the game cuz it had been score 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 at both sides like nobody could really stop each other and so i thought that was you know really cool i'm sure that's got to be one of the hardest things you ever do is <laughs> come uh, focus on practice in a game and everything like that um, when your when your dad died that week. Um, so kudos to him for going getting out there and playing and then making a big impact play. Yeah, to track back to your original question at the start of the podcast, if I was going to nominate some bologna sandwich guys of the week, it would probably be ztf and dylan johnson yeah in in that order so i'll just go ahead and make that claim for nigel and i <laughs> yeah. you can have ztf and i'll take dylan johnson or vice versa or whatever yeah. but that game i was very happy about the performance that dylan johnson had especially because we had talked about this earlier in the season that one of the worries about this husky team is were they going to be able to run the ball and like we said before 
They don't need to come out and be a dominant running team week in and week out, but you're going to have games where you're going to have to run the ball. They're going to they're going to scheme up to try to slow down your passing attack. Guys are going to get hurt or whatever the situation is. The running game is going to be where you have to win the game. And Dylan Johnson, I think, prior to coming to UW, had zero 100-yard games in his career. And now he has 20 carries for 100 yards against Oregon, easily your biggest game of the season. And now probably your next biggest game against USC is 256 yards. So I think that really speaks to the point that we'd kind of said before. You don't need to be 100-yard back every game and be the dominating run team or running back. You just need to be you need to be ready when it's your when it's your game plan. When the game plan says that you need to be the guy, you need to go out there and do it. And Dylan Johnson has knocked it out of the park in the two biggest games of the season where we've really, really needed him. Yeah. So that part was really good to see. Defense probably could have been a little better, but you know, it's it's Caleb Williams in the USC offense. You know, may, like maybe maybe we'll be humbled this week. I think Oregon gets the benefit that they get USC right after this emotional loss to UW. And I'm guessing that USC's on the road. I actually don't know if Oregon has that game at home or if it's on the road for the Ducks. I think they're going to get a nice benefit from the fact that they get them right after us. USC's season isn't over, but, you know, it's probably pretty close to over. So, yeah, they're on the road. USC's on the road. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tough game. May, you know, I'm sure if the Ducks go out there and dominate them and hold USC to, you know, 20-something points, all of the pundits and stuff will talk about how Oregon is way better than UW, better defensively, XYZ. I think the Ducks are getting a real favor by getting them right after we just beat them at their house. So there's that. But defense, they still got stuff to work on, but I'm not going to be – they did their job, like you said before, is that – you were never going to stop them and get multiple stops and really shut them down. What you needed was opportune stops and you got the strip sack right before halftime and put extra points on the board and you held them to zero points in the fourth quarter. That was a tie game. It was 42, 42 going into the fourth quarter. Didn't give up a single point in the fourth quarter. You win the game by 10 defense doesn't need to be good for four quarters. They just need to be good in certain moments. Cause this offense will score points. And that's basically what you saw unfold against USC. Yeah, they they played opportune defense. <laughs> they they certainly had some some drives that uh, that they looked horrible, but um, I still think overall, you know, it we we've said it for a while now that this defense I think plays stylistically well with the offense <laughs> you know it's like they're kind of going for bigger plays and turnovers and not that they got too many of them but they got enough they did enough and once again you know they did enough to to get it done so um did they i don't think they got any picks in that game i can't remember any i don't think they the, did but they did get a couple big sacks late in the game uh braylon trice i think also led the country again in qb hurries which I don't know how hurried Caleb Williams was because it didn't seem like anyone was close to him most of the game except for the ZTF sack and uh, was it uh, was it uh, Himes or someone else got a big uh, sack Void Tunuf he got, got that got big, that big sack, sack late in the game in the that quarter, kind yeah. of sealed the deal because then they 
I think that was when then they punted it inside the five and Dylan Johnson had that like 50 yard run Yeah, that more or less sealed the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. Defense. I mean, I still think tackling is, I would love to see the defense uh, actually be able to tackle someone on the first attempt. I said that against Oregon or after the Oregon game too. Um, just seems like you, I think uh, Dom actually had a pretty good tackle, like a solo tackler too in that game. But it just seems like there's a lot of, a lot of guys that miss on the first first attempted tackle. Uh, so like, I'd love to see that get cleaned up a little bit. But outside of that, overall, you know, all things considered, I think they did what they needed to do. So that was that was good to see. Um, yeah, I was just gonna ask you guys. Were you guys surprised at all to see that they just stayed at number five, that they haven't dropped any further into the rankings? Or, I mean, what do you guys foresee there? Like, What do you think it's going to take? I guess a loss is going to be a big thing for the guys in the top four right now, but what do you think realistically needs to happen for the Huskies to have a shot to get to the college playoffs? Well, we're recording this on Monday. The college football playoff rankings come out tomorrow. I honestly so, wouldn't be surprised if we jump into the rankings this after this week. Yeah, it, it could be. I also wouldn't be surprised if they didn't move. Is it the Florida State played two and seven Pittsburgh, and that was a ten to seven game at halftime, and they ended up winning twenty four to ten, something like that. So not a very impressive performance. So maybe they hop over Florida State this week. I don't know. I'm not holding my breath on it, but I don't really get too worked up about any of the rankings. You said it before. Ohio State and Michigan play each other. So one of them is going to lose a regular season game and they won't be in their conference championship. So that so if the Huskies go and they win out, they go 12 and 0 and then they probably play Oregon again in the Pac-12 championship game, they will be in the college football playoff. I even think if they drop one of these games, their next 3, one of them and then play Oregon again in the Pac-12 championship game, they'll still be in it. They'll still win. they'll yeah. still be in it. So they control their own destiny. There is no scenario in my mind where the Huskies are undefeated or the one-loss team, as I just laid out, where they don't make the college football playoff. A lot's going to change from here until the end of the season. So I'm not too worried about it. I'll be more worried about it when they're not in the Final Four going into the Pac-12 championship game if they're undefeated. But even then, straight Stranger things have happened. Like it'll it'll all work itself out. Huskies are in a cherried scenario. You just got to go win. I actually, this is a quick side note. I forgot to tell you guys this. I discovered today when I go out for work for these uh, for the three days over the weekend. I just saw. This is really disappointing that the Huskies game they announced it for it's twelve thirty, right? Not mm-hmm. seven thirty. Twelve thirty. Yeah, that's a bummer because my flight lands back home on Saturday. I thought it was going to be like sometime in the evening. It lands like at one thirty in the afternoon. I'm like, man, that would have been really perfect if they would have kept it at a se- or had it at a seven thirty game. Yeah, yeah, that really bummed me out. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, that is perfect time to show up to the tailgate around two thirty. Yeah, that's yeah. a bummer for you. We'll we'll get you to one, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe actually i think i was looking on there i think uh the apple cup is one i'll be home for it's it's here this week, year right yeah, thanksgiving yeah. weekend so yeah so i should be available for that one so that could be good stars in line at least for that let's go 
Got to get you to get you out to one this year. Come on. Yeah, I know. Uh, again, going on my sidebar for a second. That's been the most disappointing thing about this season for me is that I've only been able to watch, I think, three of the games this year because of being out in Florida. Everything's like blacked out over there or or it's like one of those games where if it's a 730 game, it means it starts at 1030 East Coast time. And so like none of the games I've been able to watch live. And it's like, of course, this is the season this happens. It's yeah. just you had to take had a to job be, to be a pilot. It had Tanner. to be the most unfortunate timing for something like this to go on. That's why you never take a new job right before football season. That's what I always say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look at you now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you if you guys grow if you try to just be like Luke, all you boys and girls listening, you just aspire to be Luke. Got a lot of good things heading your way. <laughs> I wouldn't say good. You got a lot of things heading your way, but most of them not very good. It's a good time. Yep. Uh, alcohol will do that. <laughs> All right, Luke, you've been host for a while. Why don't you take the reins for a little bit? Yeah. So, yeah, I'll I'll cue you because I don't even know if you've gotten the the full scoop. Let's just. Go back in time a little bit. We we, talk, we touched on the USC game a little bit of the Stanford game, but there's also that Arizona State game that honestly is probably the sole reason why the Huskies are not already number four in the rankings. They have a better performance at home in that game. They're probably honestly. I still think. I still think that's BS. Like every, I feel like every team has a game like that every year. Yeah, no, the Huskies definitely. Team, Huskies you know? definitely get the East Coast bias treatment. I mean, they've shown it a million times that the Huskies have the best strength of schedule for all of the top five, all of the undefeated teams in the country. They by and far have the best strength of schedule, and they're ranked fifth because they wear purple and gold and have a W on their helmet instead of. Ohio State, Michigan, Florida State, yeah, Georgia. Which is absolute BS. Yeah. It's like I I was saying this to Luke I think before the USC game. It's like Clemson during their during their heyday, it's like every year either Syracuse or NC State would give them a game like that and they'd have to squeak out a miracle win at the end. Like over the last couple of years. Bama has the same thing against some trash SEC school every single year where they get whether it's Tennessee or you know someone, Tennessee's Texas, better now. Texas A and M on the road. Texas A and M on the road. Yeah, there's like there's always all these teams always have games like that, and so the fact that the Huskies are kind of getting held back because of that, I think is. I mean, maybe it's true, but it's bullshit either way. It just, it just shows, I think, the intrinsic bias to a lot of the people who do these things because in the past it would just be like. Well, it's the Pac-12. It's kind of a shitty conference. SEC, it means more. Even winning a game on the road against a 2-7 and Vanderbilt by 10 points, like, that's just a gritty, gutty win. Pac-12 is actually good this year. Yeah. Like I said, I I don't care about the college football playoff rankings that much at this point, but I saw a lot of the, like, kind of talk after it was done. There's just like, yeah, Washington, they've just struggled the last two weeks. Like, they needed a Mish pow pick six against Arizona state to win that game. Didn't look very good against Stanford. You want to know who I like is Oregon out of the pac 12. I think they might slip into the final four is like, yeah, the Huskies beat them though. Yeah. So you'll like, you're just talking out, like out of both sides of your mouth that it's like, yeah, Oregon is a really, really good team. And we really like what they're doing. Huskies though. Just don't know if I've seen enough from them. It's like, yeah, but they beat them. 
So why does Oregon get the bump? Because they lost by three points. They lost by three on the road. And they're the better team as opposed to the Huskies who didn't win in dominating fashion, but they've won all of their games. So it's just, it's, it's what you're going to deal with, but that's why control your own destiny, go in all your games. They can't say anything to you, especially we already have, like I said, the best strength of schedule out of all of these teams. And it's not getting any worse. And it, exactly. It's not getting any easier. You got a ranked Utah team. Then you go on the road against a ranked Oregon State, and then Cougars. And are, then it gets really easy. Cougars are kind of in the a king downward. King of the rats. Yeah, the king, king of the rats. Of the rats. <laughs> They're in a downward spiral. I don't want to say I told us so, but I told us so. They've lost four in a row, I think. So they are who we thought they were. But it doesn't get any easier, but they control their own destiny. I want to get back to the real point. We were talking about football, and that wasn't what I was going to talk about. What I was going to say is, is that the dogs weren't the only one fighting. that that day against Arizona state, Nigel almost came to blows with Fetty Wap at the stadium. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, I'll just let Nigel take it from there because we haven't recorded an episode. So I don't know that Tanner's gotten, I gave him the the short version. Yeah. I haven't heard Nigel's, but I haven't heard Nigel's version of a, of a, a brawl almost, Un, uh, unfolding <laughs> in the stands. Up his sleeves and yeah. had to throw down with a cracked out guy in the stands. Yeah, some some dude with baked bean teeth really had it coming. Uh, I'll I'll lead off with this. I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> but <laughs> nobody was actually going to get in yeah. a fight. Come yeah, on. no, it wasn't going to be a real fight. But and and also note, I would have kicked this guy's ass if it was a real fight. <laughs> but so totally. Hold on, real totally. quick. Have you ever been in a fight? Um, no, I have not. But you are confident that you would beat this guy up. Absolutely. No, no Dude, doubt. Probably, how you describe this man, and I think the listeners might hear more as you go on. It sounds like he could be scrappy. And he's probably been in a tussle I, here I and think, there. I think, I mean, the story will, will flush us out a little bit more. But I think that uh, had a fight broken out, I wouldn't have been the only one that was uh, against this this gentleman. So I yeah, and he's not referencing me. Thought, yeah, and I'm not even refer- thought, I'm not even referencing. But I thought you would win the fight, not the yeah, group. Yeah, no, I would win the fight. But <laughs> and I won the war of words. There'd be too, two so. hits playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's just get this straight, Ted. There'd be two hits playing. Me hitting him and bopped a bop by Kid Rock in the background. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. Now I'm convinced. Yeah, yeah. This is this is easy. Also, I I uh, I've seen this in the in on the Twitter fights in the stands that I had I had the high ground too, mm. which I feel like has uh, has been effective in uh, in stadium fighting. So I think that that would help my help my cause as well. But um, so give you give you guys the story here. Um, Arizona State game. Obviously, the Huskies are playing like dog water, as a, our new favorite new favorite phrase here, and not having their best game. And, of course, we're all frustrated. But, um, you know, you're a fan. We're apparently – we all claim to be fans of the Huskies, and so we're there to cheer on the Huskies even through our frustration sometimes. And there was one particular fan that was in our section that was – just uh, making it a very negative experience for everyone. He was 
he was upset with the defense, which I thought was the funniest part about it because the defense was actually playing out of their minds and keeping the Huskies in the game. And yeah, if you forgot the, the game already, they gave up seven points despite four offensive turnovers in the game. Yeah, most of which came on, on their half of the field, <laughs> yeah. you know, on the Huskies' half of the field. So the, the defense was playing out of their mind, and yet this guy was just like, incessantly booing the uh, the defense every single time they gave up a first down at any point. And he's he was sitting right behind this old couple and and just like booing and and cursing and talking about how much the Huskies F and stuff. And there's no cursing allowed in the stadium, okay? Yeah. Well won't stand for it. <laughs> well I yeah, I've definitely uh, used some some uh, choice language in the stadium before but it, usually not screaming it yeah. though you might yell it at your buddies like yeah exactly but you're just not what, screaming it out loud what the then, f was that but yeah exactly but you're not like and it, yeah it's it just there's times and moments where i feel like it's okay and other times where you're just being obnoxious and this guy had gotten to the point that he was <laughs> this this fan was trying to kick out the older couple for hurting his viewing experience of the game and was like yelling at the usher to because they were like, "Can you please just like stop for a minute? Like this is ridiculous." Yeah, and they had like a fifteen-year-old. Yeah, kid yeah, with they had them. a kid, yeah, they had a kid with them that was yeah, probably in their upper teens, something like that. But yeah. like high school like, age kid with his parents or grandparents. I don't. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah, really see. Not sure. Get a good look at the his chaperones, but older people with their high school age kid just kind of watching the game calmly and this guy is just, <laughs> just screaming at everything and yeah. like nigel said i'll just chime in on that real quick is that uh, this is just me i have no patience for booing your team you want to cheer for the other team you're an arizona state fan or whatever i love it when opposing fans are sitting by us usually the first one when they have a good play be like high five like yep that was a good play or whatever you want to cheer for your team go for it don't boo your own team Maybe it's maybe you feel a little differently at an NFL game. These are guys who get paid millions of dollars. You want to boo at them? I think you have a little bit more of a right. These are college football players. These are twenty year old kids. I guess there's NIL now, but they don't really get paid. Okay, so like, so I'm not going to boo a twenty year old kid who's not getting paid to play. You could this maybe sport. boo a coaching decision. Boo the referees. Boo, but like. Booing the kids yeah. for trying, yeah. Not Boo when they punt on a fourth and one. Yeah, exactly. Like, but don't just booing the booing a coaching decision. Yeah, there. But don't like, outwardly boo the players when they're yeah. trying hard and they give up a first down on third and two. Yeah, and be like, like God, these they fucking suck. This is the like, worst defense I've ever seen. The worst seen. Effing defense I've suck. ever seen. Like every single play, like for the entire second half, pretty much. Like it's just like constant, and so eventually. All of us, me, Luke, and a few others, started kind of chirping at the guy a little bit as well. Like, just just little one-off comments here and there at him as he was... Anytime we did anything good, pretty much. <laughs> if we got a first down, which wasn't many in that game. Um, but eventually, we get, we get near the end, and Mish Powell goes pick six, and crucial point in the game. And takes it back, what, 85 yards, whatever it was, for the touchdown. And I'm I'm celebrating with all with all the boys. Uh, but I've, I'd had a few soda pops, and I, this guy has just pissed me off to uh, an immense amount. And I see him, like, in my peripheral, like, celebrating. 
and I just didn't think it was right <laughs> that he should be celebrating after after booing, booing the team, the team. And, and being so negative. So I I ran down to the end of the aisle and then told him that he didn't get to fucking that he didn't get to fucking cheer on the Huskies because he's a because he's a negative Nancy. I think I said it in a few more words than that and probably not as nicely. Um, but I told him that he doesn't get to celebrate that that interception because he's a piece of shit. And he didn't like that I said that to him, and so he got in my face and started saying some things, and I didn't back down from that. And then he he walked off back to his seat, and I and uh, and then the usher came and stood by me, and I told I told the usher I was sorry, but I was like that guy's an asshole, and he's had it coming, and he's like I know, <laughs> and and that was pretty much it. And then he and then he kept he kept chirping at at us a little bit because I think we. We had a few more choice words for him, but that was pretty much the that was pretty much the fun part of the story. But then the real fun was that we go on to win the game, obviously celebrate. Um, and it, and I I don't know that it happened, but I'm pretty sure everyone in the stands started cheering for me Look. once I Nigel, yeah, Nigel, Nigel. Yeah, I can only imagine that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you were the hero of that game. Yeah, I I do think that uh, people were. Uh, happy that I shut him up though, because he was pretty quiet after that. Maybe the husky shut him up too, but I made sure that he wasn't gonna gonna make any noise after after that as well. And then we go, we celebrate. But I thought this was the best part was that when we were leaving. Well, you left one part off. I'll stop you there. Is that this bitch also left early? Because then the huskies basically had it in the bag. They get the pick six. We actually get the ball back again, and I think we kick a field goal to then go up. 15 because it was only 12 to 7 i think because it was 7 to 6 when Mish That's took right. the pick yeah. back we go up because i think we try to go for two or something like I, I don't remember the exact scoring or whatever but i think we get the ball back score again like kick a field goal go up 15 to 7 or whatever or 6 whatever the score was then we get the ball back again with like a minute and a half and it's about to be kneeling time and this guy leaves early to which he gets a lot of colorful language from Nigel and myself while he's leaving. Yeah, I let him know. I was let anyone him know else once chirping it... at him at that point too? Any other fans? Um, I think I think there was an. If they were, you couldn't hear him over over <laughs> yeah. the likes of Nigel and I. Yeah. Uh, we were we were lighting doing up the, the audio, yeah, <laughs> the we were, audio system. Yeah, we were doing the business for everybody. There, I think there was the people that were on like the the section over from us were also kind of chirping at, at a few points. I don't think they were at that point though, but yeah. When So when he left, we, we gave him the business again and made sure he knew that he was a, he was a shitty fan and that he was leaving early and that we were okay with that. And then, uh, and then when we, you know, get done celebrating after the game and we walk out and he's, he's just standing in the corridor <laughs> So by himself, yeah, by himself. It should have been. Yeah, you should have been able to infer that from the stories that. <laughs> yeah, this I guy's mean, by himself. He's a piece of shit. No one wants to be friends with him. Clearly, he because he's a horrible person, and so took uh, took one more took one more uh, set of sh- set of shots at him on the way out. <laughs> Just oh, to... I I walked right up to this guy. Oh yeah, we came. Gave yeah, him, we came. Gave right him up. the middle finger basically right to his face, and I was like. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we said said some things that uh, I think my mother listens to this podcast, so I'll try to yeah. I'll try to refrain yeah. from I, repeating. That's them. why I'm trying to but. refrain as well. But yeah, that's uh, 
I said a few choice Shout things. Shout out, dude. mom. <laughs> yeah. Said a few you guys choice. You're both going to get calls from your mothers after this. <laughs> yeah, Don't probably. you be fighting in the stands. Yeah, yeah, I'm my mother's child. I hope Linda's listening. <laughs> she would do the same thing if there was a bully, okay? <laughs> she would she would say her piece to, hey, to this bully's face, okay? I'm not going to hide behind anything. This guy was a mean man, and he needed to be told that That's what she he has a bad attitude. Okay. That's right. He has a bad attitude, and somebody had to yeah. check him. Yeah, I hope so he's we, at the next game. So we, Yeah, so we herded him. And yeah, yeah caught, caught him in the corridor, gave him one last, uh, one last piece of our minds. And I was, you know, I was already up to here at that point. The adrenaline was, was fully firing from, from so many things, like from the game itself mostly. But then on top of that, getting into a little verbal altercation. Uh, so I was already, I was already riding high. So there was no, like, there was no stopping the filter anymore. It was just like whatever. <laughs> Things were coming out that I don't even I don't even know what I was saying. I was speaking in tongues. <laughs> but uh, yeah, did you let him know you like to fight? Um, I didn't want to fight. I wanted to tell him out. I, I like to was, fight. Yeah, I like to fight too. I hate <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, I like to eat. Channel. I your, like to have children. Channel yeah. your inner Alex actually, Jones. I, I, honestly, I may have said all those things because, like I said, I was speaking in tongues, much like Alex Jones does uh, many times there. So I, I don't really know what I said. I just know it was not nice and that. Uh, and I wouldn't take back any of it, though. But I would not take back was any a piece of it. Of yeah, shit. exactly. I, I felt I felt no regrets about any of it. So, which is kind of rare. I feel like a lot of times when you get into a, like a little altercation with someone, you're like, ah, oh, I might have been a little stupid there. But I don't really. I didn't. Might have been in my cups a little too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a lot of times, if stuff like that happens, you're like, I might have taken that a little too far. But I didn't really feel that that way with this guy. Like he he deserved everything that was told to him, and I hope that I hope that he takes that and realizes that uh, he's not welcome at the games. Because <laughs> if I see him again, I'll tell him again. So yeah, it was. Uh, Did he at least look defeated by the end of it? No, dude. No. The fentanyl the, the yeah, was hitting that, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> that guy looked defeated when he walked into the stadium. Yeah, exactly. Life had defeated this guy. Yeah. We probably didn't need to pile on, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he changed his life. Maybe that's the wake-up call he needed, just like the Seahawks needed the wake-up call. I, I doubt I doubt that, but yeah. don't. There, there's few things that you could talk shit about that will really trigger me and put me into uh, a mood, but the Huskies is definitely one of them, especially when I'm <laughs> yeah. in the stadium. Yeah. I said, be one thing if you're an Arizona State fan, talk all your shit you want when they win, which they didn't. You know, you can have your parade and I'll have no problem. Yeah. Somebody wants to talk shit after their team beats you, but I don't want to hear Husky fans booing their own team. Yeah, especially when it, when you're making it unenjoyable for everyone else around you. That just that just sucks. Yeah. So, that's that's why I feel good about saying it because he uh he shut up after that at least. He wasn't he wasn't booing and, and ruining everyone else's experience. Yeah, well, they were winning at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, he still he still there were multiple defensive defensive uh, stands after that that he could have been, you know, trying to be an a hole. But it was uh, it was definitely an experience. It's been a minute since I'd uh, gotten into an altercation with someone, so that was uh, <laughs> that was exciting. We were due. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. I got a I got a couple other hot topics. Yeah, I can, let's hear them. I could throw in the hopper. Let's do it. I'll let 
I'll let you guys pick your poison here. I got I got two hot topics. One that I think is much longer than the other. Uh, one has to do with Caleb Williams, and Nigel knows this because kind of Luke's been dying to have this. I've time. been dying, and honestly, missed the boat a little bit on this, but Nigel can attest to my timestamp a, a little bit about this. Or we could talk about Connor St- Stallions in Michigan, or we could talk about both. I think we should talk about both real quick. We have okay. plenty of time. Yeah, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Yeah. So I'll get into the Caleb Williams thing, and yeah, that's us talk to. So. Yeah, I'll I'll set it up uh, a little bit here. I'll try to go rapid fire with with it because I got a lot to say and throw it to you guys. But basically, this is probably a month ago at this point. It was I think when the Huskies played against Arizona. Which quick note on that is that much like all of uh, the pundits and stuff, Huskies barely beat Arizona. Although that looked a lot like the Stanford game in my mind that you fumble the ball inside the five-yard line when you're about to go score and go up three scores late in the fourth quarter. You make a bad play, you fumble it, they come down, they score. It ends up being a lot closer game than it should have been. Arizona's really rode that high, though, since then. And they've beat ranked opponents in four straight weeks now, and they're ranked. That game looks like a lot better win now on UW's resume when at the time I think a lot of people thought that was, you know, kind of a a dip in performance. Not the point I'm trying to make, though. It was around that time, though, that I told Nigel off the air when we were just riffing, mostly because I just heard so much talk about Caleb Williams, and I do like Caleb Williams. He will be the number one overall pick, and he is a good football player. But I just told Nigel, I was like, they talk about Caleb Williams – in the stratosphere of QB prospects with Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck, Trevor Lawrence. Like, that is where he was established to be. And I just kind of posed to Nigel as like, I don't understand why Caleb Williams is that bona fide of a, like, QB prospect. I know he's extremely talented, but... Most of the plays that he makes are off-schedule plays, and I know that people see he's just dripping talent and he has all the arm talent in the world. Like I get that part of it. I'm not doubting that, but he's listed at six one. He's probably more like six feet tall. All of his throws, not all of them, but the majority of them are kind of impromptu plays, not on, not on schedule. And they compare him to Patty Mahomes. And what I'd kind of said to Nigel is that like people lose sight of the fact that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL and one of probably the best all time because he is one of the best pocket passers of all time. He makes plays happen, and that's what makes him not not like great for his time, but like generationally great. But where his real bread and butter is pocket throws, and I haven't seen that from Caleb Williams. So I just don't understand why he's this not the number one overall pick hype talent but why he's like in this upper stratosphere of QB prospects, like once in a generation type players. Cause I just don't see it. And actually I'll say is that uh, talking, talking with Zal the other day, friend of the show Zal is that when we were talking about it, he actually threw out a good one is that, and I'll, so I'll just piggyback off of it. He reminds me more of Kyler Murray than he does Patrick Mahomes. And Kyler Murray is really good and was well worth the number one overall pick. So that's not a slight on him. But he's not 6'3", 6'4". 
I don't see the Patrick Mahomes. I see Kyler Murray. And you see that struggles with Kyler at times too, is that he struggles with being that prototypical stand-in-the-pocket passer. He always has the ability to create and make plays, and that's great. I just don't know how that puts you in that generational talent. I get the the high upside. I just don't see it. So that was kind of what I had thrown out to Nigel. And I'll say is that I wish we would have done it on the podcast then. We didn't record that week. And then the next week that we did, I think, was after the Oregon game. And we went over two hours basically just talking about the Oregon game. So we didn't have time to throw it in there. But ever since that time, Caleb Williams has kind of dropped down a little bit in a lot of people's eyes. Some people like Dan Orlovsky have Drake May as their number one quarterback. Ryan Leaf has Michael Penix as the number one quarterback. That was a few weeks ago. Maybe he's changed his mind too. But it seems like it's funny because I really wanted to record and get this hot take on the record because ever since that point, he. I mean, he's lost three of the last five games he's played. Almost lost to Arizona. Probably should have. You know? Yeah. So, that was kind of my hot take. It's not as hot anymore because I think a lot more people have a similar take. And just like... A lukewarm take. Yeah. Yeah, my lukewarm take of the week. My puke warm. <laughs> my puke warm take of the week. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just like anybody, those that... Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold, you know, was the bona fide generational talent. And then he had to come back another year. And then you start to pick apart all of his flaws because much like you said with Gino earlier is that you have this Heisman year. People have more tape on you. They find ways that they can give you problems. They adjust. Yeah, You get exposed a little bit. So I agree with you for the most part <laughs> that and I like the Kyler Murray comparison, honestly, because that's probably more accurate of what it is. But I think that to answer your original question of why he's getting hyped like those other guys, I think it's because it's just, he's the first guy in this new era of football of NIL. And like he had, he had deals locked up at Oklahoma for millions of dollars. Like, when he was 17, <laughs> you know, like he's been, he's been locked into all this stuff. And so like, he's been larger than life since before he got to USC. And now he's at you. Like now he wins. He was great, you know, great rookie or freshman campaign wins the Heisman last year. And so like, he's just already on this like hype trajectory. Like no one has ever been because, because of all the like NIL money, he's like he's already on commercials with Nissan, Heisman House. He's you know Dr Pepper, Dr Pepper. Like he's he and and that's not new. Like that was starting last year even with some of those that, um, which is just kind of unprecedented. Like you just haven't really had that kind of kind of situation with current college players still. So because you weren't allowed to pay them, so you couldn't have them. They couldn't be in the Heisman House until after they left the NFL most of the time, I feel like because they couldn't or left for the NFL because you couldn't pay them to go be in those ads. So sure. My quick counter to all of that though, is that I understand why he has hype among fans. NFL scouts don't care about how much, how many commercials you're in or they're not supposed to. Yeah. But that's yeah. Not supposed to, but still he, he's, 
I, I feel like he just kind of has this this aura around him because of all those other things. And up until three weeks ago, he won a Heisman, was hadn't lost a game this year, you know. So it's easy to to hype him up with all those other all those other aspects going around him as well. But I can't, I mean I I agree that if he was 6-3, and doing all these things, I think yeah, that'd be that'd be a fair comparison. But I think 6-1, he he having seen him though this weekend, he is more elusive than I thought he was would be. Like I've watched him in other games too, and like I've seen how elusive he is. But just watching him, I guess, compared with the uh, with the Huskies as the uh, as the control, since I watched them every single week and kind of know what to expect from them. I'm like, it was he was definitely more elusive than I than I kind of would have thought he would be, and kind of more slippery than I thought he was gonna be, while still looking downfield, still making good throws. Like he had. One of those throws was definitely big time NFL throw at the. Uh, yeah, the, and I'm not doubt. Back. I'm not yeah. doubting his arm yeah. talent. Yeah. So I mean, I, I think it's easy to. I think it's easy to throw him up there with those guys just because he is, you know, he, he's already top tier, and then you add in the the rest of that like aura around him, and it just feel it feels like those other guys, like My, where the where. Talent was was driving those other guys more in in their timelines, <laughs> like Andrew Luck or Trevor Lawrence or you know some of those guys. Like talent was driving that more than the off the field aura, where I feel like it's kind of the opposite with him, where it's like he still has the talent, but like the the off field aura is driving that a little bit more as well. Well. Two, two things on that, and one of these I said to you before when I was presenting this weeks ago, is that you're right, obviously he's very slippery, but that was one of the points that I made that I'm surprised that scouts put him in this tier, is because that would be, in my mind, one of the first things as a scout you would look at and be like, that's not going to translate one-to-one in the NFL. Guys in the NFL, they're all the best of the best. You're not going to slip out of tackles by NFL DNs at the rate that you do. You still will because he's an extremely good athlete. But some of those plays are just going to get chopped down. You're not going to get out of the hands of Miles Garrett when he gets his hands on you. So some of those plays are going to get cut down, which is why traditionally a lot of people covet the 6'4 pocket passer with great accuracy making plays on schedule. Is because you can't bank on a guy constantly slipping out of tackles and getting outside of the pocket. And then his arm talent will translate. But that's just not where I've seen him at his best, is standing back there and making throws from the pocket on schedule, on time. You know, similar to Russell Wilson as well, right? Kind of, that would be another guy. Better, He's a better athlete than Russell Wilson ever was. But similar in the sense that, like, the guy is at his best when he when the play breaks down and he can go play backyard football. If I'm a scout, I would think that I wouldn't put as much weight into that. Furthermore, from a scout, as I'd say, looking at him, is he's Caleb Williams' Heisman winner. Who is his coach? It's Lincoln Riley. 
So who who did he have before that did basically the exact same things? Kyler oh, Murray. Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, uh, Jalen Hurts transferred from Alabama there, and he instantly was a Heisman person that like or Heisman hopeful. Like those are all good players, right? So, but are they generational talent, or was it that Lincoln Riley knows how to get the most out of somebody who's a good athlete at the position? So that's why I'd also was just like kind of thinking like how how are NFL scouts saying that this guy is like a once in a generation player when basically every quarterback that has played under Lincoln Riley in college has also had generational stats at the position and they've now he's won three Heisman's and had I don't know where Jalen Hurts finished in Heisman but top Probably top five top top, top five minimum if not top three or two yeah like that's what he does so I would think that you would take much like I'm sure they'll say with Michael Penix when he's coming out. It's like it's Grub and DeBoer. This is what they do: is that they they scheme up offense. So we're gonna put that as a minus in terms of his grading. That any Joe Blow could walk into the Washington offense and probably put up good numbers. He's clearly talented. That's why he has great numbers. But you gotta you gotta kind of roll it back a little bit because the scheme and the way that they do things is always going to produce guys that have big numbers. Could Dylan Morris put up big numbers in this offense? Absolutely not. That guy sucks. That guy, <laughs> awesome. that guy can't put up big numbers in a high school offense. So that, that was kind of my take though. And like I said, it's a, it's a puke warm take at this point because it would have been hot back then when they were undefeated and he was still the Heisman front runner. Now he's kind of, regressed to the median a little bit they've dropped some games he hasn't been as good guys have found ways to make him turn the ball over shut him down a little bit but i don't know i said he's still gonna be the number one overall pick i'm fairly confident in that unless an injury happens something like that i don't know he is he is a great player and good enough to be the number one overall pick in a draft for the cardinals next year (laughs) No, he'll go to the Bears and then they'll really prove everything I'm saying when he's the most middling quarterback that you've ever seen. And that's probably because of the Bears because they've never had a good quarterback. But that that was my hot take on that. Do you have any thoughts on that, Tanner? No, I think you guys kind of hit it all. I, I think just going back to what you were saying, though, as far as like the slipperiness and elusiveness, like you see it all that you see it all the time every year that you get quarterbacks like that that come out of college and they can do that at the college level, like you were saying. Gets the NFL level, level, maybe their first two seasons, maybe three, they can keep doing that. But if you're talking about generational talent, like eventually that's going to die off. Age catches up to you, teams catch up onto you. And it's like, that's just like, if you're talking about generational talent, like that's not what's going to carry you. You actually have to, in majority of cases, be that prototypical stand in the pocket quarterback and be able to make plays that way. And I agree with you. It just seems like it may not be what he does. The thing I was going to ask you guys, because I don't know the answer to this, because this is also another side of football in any sport. What's his leadership style? I mean, what's he like in a locker room? Is he going to be able to carry an NFL team to be a generational talent, to be the guy that everyone can say that that's our dude? I mean, I I will say I don't know because I don't follow USC football that in depth. I do think that that, from what I can tell, is actually one of his strong suits. Because, I mean, you saw in in the game against the Huskies, is that their defense is absolutely atrocious. 
this guy basically wills his team to victory every time they play. Like, he is the reason they win. I think that is one of his, like, strong, like, grading metrics is, like, this guy could, I would think, can get his entire team to run through a brick wall for him because nobody is trying harder than he is. Like, I even saw people, like, trying to roast him for, like, if you, I'm sure if you watched the game, you saw he kind of jumped into the stands and he's clearly crying, like, in his mom's arms. Like, the guy clearly cares a lot. And why wouldn't he? he fucking gives everything he can? And his team is his defense is so dog shit they can score forty something points in a game and they'll lose. Like I feel bad for the guy. So I don't think that that's an issue. Yeah, I I wasn't even claiming it was an issue. I was just yeah. curious if you guys had an answer to that because I, uh, I think that's probably one of the stronger parts of his because game. Like, when like, I saw him crying in the stands. Like I mean, obviously we kind of made fun of it, but like truly, like it shows a guy that's really dedicated and really cares about his craft. And like yeah. It seems like in so many other cases you see that people applaud that, but for him, for some particular reason, yeah, like he I, I didn't get that for it. I don't know. I, I feel like you see NFL and college football players. It's not uncommon to see them cry after a big loss. Yeah, so I was that's an emotional win. It's an yeah. emotional game, and yeah. the guy's literally putting his body on the line out there every play. All of that to lose, like, like I said, I feel bad for the guy. I mean, this is low grade football but like even our time at salton high school playing there it's like i remember crying my eyes out after like after a big loss like yeah and it's like i'm not really a, a person that just sits there and cries about any old particular thing and it's like it's an emotional game yeah it pulls put, it pulls it out of you yeah, yeah. especially when I mean, you're, that's the old thing you know, when you put tears right like yeah come on. yeah when you're putting when you're putting so much into it like it's not just the three hours of game time either you know you're like you you put it in that that probably knocks them out of the playoff contention right and so it's well like, they're already out they had two losses i guess they were but yeah and it might knock them out of the heisman heisman race maybe. that's probably more likely and so and if they don't win against oregon i think they can still make the pac-12 championship game because they only have two conference losses oregon has one against us so if they beat oregon they're right back in there and assuming the Huskies beat Utah, then they're right back in the Pac-12 championship talks. But either way, for all intents and purposes, it kind of knocks them it's down. A, it's a culmination of a lot of time and effort and and all of that, you know, after you've just given everything you, you know, everything you have physically to have that then, like, hit you after, after it. Like, I'm not surprised that he cried. I mean, it's just like, I mean, if you – we brought up ZTF earlier. We're talking about crying. It's like his father died. He kept it together all week, I'm sure. But as soon as that game's over, he's bawling his eyes out because, like, you've just given everything you have physically to something. And then, like, there's nothing left to, like, hold back that emotion anymore. Like, you don't have that barrier. And it's, it's just like, like it's going to come. Exactly. It's an, exactly. And so it's like, it's going to come out of you. <laughs> On, Whatever on the, you've been holding back, it's it's coming out. On the crying part of it, too, is that I do think you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, hit it on the head earlier, is that, because like, I saw some people kind of pointing out that, like, Max Duggan, the quarterback for TCU, you know, he's at the podium crying after they got dusted against Georgia in the championship, and a lot of people being, like, leader, this guy cares so much, blah, 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 and then kind of roasting Caleb Williams for crying after the game, I think you hit it on the head earlier. It's just because people are 
assholes because he's in Dr. Pepper commercials. He's getting all of this money and attention and he is a national figure where it's like, nobody knew who Max Duggan was until they beat Michigan. And so then it's just like, oh, this guy must really care about football. And like, look at what they did this year. And like, nobody believed in them. And now he's sad because the, the dream is over or whatever. Blah, 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 blah. Because well, also everyone roots for an underdog, too. And so, yeah, exactly. oh, look at this guy. And Caleb's not the underdog because he's the Heisman yeah. winner. He has the NIL deals. He has the commercials. You see him. So the second you see him just being a normal-ass human that's sad after the game, first thing you want to do is drag him because you yeah. know that he has all of these things that you will never have. <laughs> you know, The guy makes more money playing college football than a lot of people will make in their lives. So the instant reaction is to and some shit people on are making him. their first NFL contract. <laughs> yeah, that t- that too. <laughs> like, so yeah, but I I think like I said, what I'm saying about Caleb Williams has nothing to do with him being the number one overall pick because I think he will be and he probably should be. It's just it was more of them saying that he's like the best QB prospect that has come through in the likes of Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning because that's basically it that has come through. Or just about every scout is saying, like, this guy is basically the perfect prospect that you've ever seen. And my take on it just before is just like, I don't know how they get there. A lot of people, and I think this is all cyclical, is I think a lot of people are just really into the hype of, like, Patrick Mahomes. They see him spinning out of a tackle and throwing, you know, a sidearm off-platform throw, and he has that ability. Like, the guy has a magical arm and he can make all these throws and you get caught up in that and it's like like most people at the end of the day they want your tom brady it's what trevor lawrence more so is too or like justin herbert and they all have their warts too but it's like the big guy that can stand in the pocket and be accurate that's what tends to translate and caleb williams might end up being the next patrick mahomes like he has the ability i'm just Little on the fence about people that are very sure that that's what he's going to be, where I think he looks more like a Kyler Murray type than a Patrick Mahomes. And I think I think you're going to hear a lot more of that, where people are going to say Drake May or or Michael Penix coming up to the draft, because they are guys, especially Penix. Drake May I think has had some injuries, some little nicks and bruises that have kind of set him back this year. But like I said before, Penix has that highest yards air yards per attempt in I think college football great completion percentage the guy makes all of these big throws downfield while standing in the pocket traditionally I think that's what translates a lot more to the NFL than guys that are shedding guys that are going to be working at enterprise you know in a couple months and then running out of the pocket they and hitting you the tools to be your own boss and then hitting NFL rece- or hitting NFL caliber receivers, you know, 20 yards downfield. So let me ask you that if you had your choice in a hypothetical world, if the Seahawks were sitting at the number one pick, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Caleb Williams? Yeah. Yeah. But we'll, we'll talk more about Michael Penix and his draft, but uh, Penix biggest problems I'd still say is injury history. And honestly that he does have a dominant offensive line that allows him, you know, to rope it back to Gino. Gino Smith stands back there sometimes thinking that he has Michael Penix offensive line <laughs> and that he has five seconds to let a throw develop. Like Penix has that luxury. That's why his yards average air yards per attempt is so high is that he actually has the ability that he can stand back there 
and wait for a guy to get open 30 yards downfield and then throw a dart. Most guys don't have that luxury, both at the college level and definitely at the NFL level. So that would be, I'd instantly have those critiques on Penix. Injury history probably more than his elite pass blocking in front of him. But I'd still think that that's a pretty big question mark is usually if you're a top pick, that means you're playing for a bad team. If you went and put Michael Penix on the Bears this year, he's not going to have any protection. Is he going to do any better than Justin Fields or uh, Bagnet or whatever his pageant? Uh, is he going to do any better than those guys? Probably, but not that much better because their offensive line still sucks. Yeah. He's not going to have time to throw it to his dog shit wide receivers that also play for the Bears. So, like, <laughs> DJ Moore is going to need some time to let his route develop if. If he doesn't have the protection, well, they have two first-round picks, so they can go get Roma Dunze too. Yeah, there you go. So, what was your next uh, lukewarm take? It wasn't a lukewarm take. It was just more of a general discourse on uh, Connor Stallions and the sign stealing going on at Michigan. I guess, I guess my my hot take would be, and I'm kind of piggybacking off of stuff that I've seen on Twitter or whatever, is that. He, I, I think they allege that he started this sign stealing out or operation in like 2019. And if you remember, cause I know, I know you don't watch as much college football Tanner, but Nigel does like Michigan was very much a upper middle tier program during Harbaugh's time. And they were talking about firing him. Because he couldn't beat Ohio State. State. See it every year, pretty much. 2019, they finally have a good year. The year that he starts stealing signs. 2020, COVID year, he is not allowed to be a part of the program because I think they had to downsize their staff. They were not good. COVID year. Uh, But, so, you know, there's probably other things going on there. Don't have a good year. He's back in 2021. They beat Ohio State. They beat him in 2022 again. They're in the college football playoff both of those years and I don't know how much truth there is to it, but you know, the TCU is one of the only games that they're alleging that they didn't steal signs for because they were trying to steal signs at different games. They, they alleged that he went to the Oregon UW game last year because they thought that Oregon might be in the college football playoff and they didn't steal signs against TCU because they didn't expect them to be there. TCU goes and hangs 50 points on him. And now, and now you fast forward to this year that it's like a lot of it is probably um, what's the, what's the lawyer term or whatever, but it's like circumstantial evidence. Like you can't really prove it or anything, but there's some, there's something to be said that right around the time that this sign stealing operation began, they went from a team that won eight or nine games a year to being the top four team in the country yeah. and not losing any games. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'll let you take it from there. And I, there's there's more to this story, but well, I don't I know was, if I believe all of that either. I'm just throwing it out there. I was I was going to ask you real quick too if uh, if you heard slash saw that there was another uh, Big Twelve program, that, Big Ten, sorry, Big Ten program that came out and saying that they or it was a, a former staffer on a different Big Ten team that came out and said that they were tasked with stealing signs for a different program. 
That's whistleblown today. I haven't seen much else on it, but it's. I think that the Big Ten announced it that they had another like whistleblower from a different team that said that the they had word from a staffer that they were doing the same thing. I had not seen that. Which yeah, I I haven't seen much else on it, but I I was just curious if you saw it. Um, so I'm sure there'll be more to come. But so couple couple takes on it. I I know you've already heard most of this, Luke, but. Um, Number my number one thing is that uh, I have <laughs> I have a little doubt that this was happening. <laughs> like I'm I'm sure that there was some sign stealing going on. It's um, I guarantee it was going exactly, on because there's I'm, just too much evidence that says yeah exactly. It, I have little doubt that it was happening. Um, what I what I am confident about is that nothing is going to happen to Michigan this year. Is what I am confident about. Um, I think that apparent. I heard apparently last week during like their the the um, conference had like a a meeting with the commissioners or whatever, and they asked. Or it was I think it was actually coaches, and they asked the uh, they asked Harbaugh to jump off the call because all of the coaches wanted to plead that the that the conference uh, take action against Michigan without him on the phone. Um, and so I think that there's there's going to be pleas and <laughs> pleads for this to for something to take place. Um, but I just don't I I it I don't see them making any steps towards it without more time passing. And so right now it's gonna, it's not gonna affect the Wolverines of 2023-24 in my book, and is my guess. The College Football Playoff Committee has already said that they aren't going to step in and and uh, do anything about it and and not rank them in whatever place because of because of these allegations. Um, so I just find it hard to imagine that anything's gonna happen, and it's just gonna be punishment for future uh kids down the line that aren't that weren't part of the program um and probably punishment to harbaugh (laughs) eventually i would assume he i would assume within the next two years he gets fired for that but i just think that it's going to be two years (laughs) worth of some kind of investigation happening him appealing the school appealing and then it's you know that doesn't happen till beginning or mid next year and then you know maybe in a year and a half we have some kind of answer so a couple couple thoughts on that is that one per our conversation before about college football playoff and i had said this to you i think yesterday is that i think you're right that like ncaa isn't going to do anything they're basically nothing at this point yeah. um so that so you're not going to get it from there whether the Big Ten or Michigan decides to impose a ban or something. Yeah. If they decide to do something also seems unlikely, but that would probably be where it comes from is either the Big Ten or Michigan as an institution. And it's probably not going to happen this year. But as I had said to you yesterday, I do think there's still some value that you really need Michigan to lose a game most likely it would be to Ohio state. Cause I do th- still think that there's a chance that if you're the Huskies and you want to get on in that fringe, they'll push. If you're the Huskies and you want to get in as a one loss team, 
you need Michigan to lose and not play in the Big Ten championship because they won't give them that treatment like Ohio State got last year where they lost to Michigan as their only loss and they still make it in as the four seed because don't forget that Harbaugh already served a suspension to start this year for recruiting violations during COVID. Yeah. Like, that, it just, that's... <laughs> yeah, just piling I, on the, to it he, here. Harbaugh the, and Michigan are not doing a good job of making themselves look like this shiny object proj- uh, program Yeah, by having your coach already serve a suspension for recruiting violations and then having this happen, even if they're... I'd kind of forgotten about that. But even yeah, if there is nothing that comes of it this year, I would have to think that in the eyes of some voters, they'd be like, Michigan, Michigan, not only did they lose a game and they're, that's the other thing. Ro- I just, rope I just it in. don't think like as a voter, you, you, it's, I think it's just like with it, anything. It's like, you don't know the specifics yeah. necessarily. Your job is to judge their performance exactly, on, the field. on the field. And so it's like, if you don't have evidence one way or another, it's all just hearsay. And so you can't assume that, that someone is guilty of this without knowing what the actual facts are of the situation. And I don't think those facts are going to come out anytime soon. And so, and even if you like think you know what the facts are, like, cause these people are all well-connected and I'm sure there's people that talk to you and say, you know, but again, that's all hearsay. And so it's hard to like, until this is something that's like been played out in a court system or some, whatever the like forum is that, that they decide to go through with it. I just don't think that it's going to, anything's going to happen with it. And what's probably going to happen is much like what happened with major league baseball is that they will be like, stop doing this. We know you're all doing it. So y'all need to stop now. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And if we catch you doing it going forward, you're going to get punished. But for now, because we know you're all doing it and these are just the ones that got caught and they were doing it the most egregiously maybe because they got caught so easily. Um, that, you know, that's the, that's what I imagine is probably going to be what happens is that they're like tisk tisk, but we know everyone was doing it. So sorry, stop now. And we're now, we're now monitoring it would be my best guess. Yeah. My, my quick question on that is you say that everyone's doing it. That might be true. But based off of that call that all of the coaches had with the Big Ten commissioner and their hate and vitriol towards Michigan, they're either really bad actors and liars, or they must feel like they're really not doing that, and Michigan is so egregious with it, because the general consensus I got from that call is that basically every team in the Big Ten, not every team, but most of them, we're all very adamant that it's like Michigan has been doing this for a while and we've known this. Like this isn't news to us Yeah, well, and we're not happy about it. Yeah. Well, for one, if that was the I'd be pretty bold if they were doing the same thing and being like, but you need to come down on Michigan. Yeah. Well, if that was the case, then a, they should have said something about it sooner. B change your signs. So that you you bait them into losing the games because you did the sign. Mike Leach did that. Yeah, yeah, you did. You you run the sign so that they think that last week it was a run play, and the next week it's the the air over the top, or you know, like. Did like, you did you see it? This is an old story that I'd seen no, before, I, but it resurfaced that 
Mike Leach, RIP. But when he was, I think back when he was the OC at Oklahoma back in the day, this is before he was at Texas Tech, he had a similar thing where he thought that people were trying to steal signs or whatever. And before they were playing Texas, he literally made a fake playbook and had one of his players or staffers drop it like by the Texas I, tunnel I, I, I while they're like going back into the locker room after initial warmups, go and drop it so that, so <laughs> yeah. that then they would pick it up and then they picked it up and allegedly read it and like, well, we know their entire playbook. It's not the real playbook. And then they run everything off of that. And I think they dusted them in that game. But, like, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, Mike Leach has been big on that before. There's other videos of him, I think, at Texas Tech or WSU where he's looking at the other sideline where he's just, like, throwing his hands, like, are you looking at me? Like, here's my signs. They're, they're nothing, but, like, yeah. I know you're trying to steal my signs. Like, it's not going to work. Yeah. So there is there is yeah. some value so, to that. It's like Mike Leach has been doing that for, well, was doing that, you know, CC 20 years ago, you know. Yeah. So like as, it's as always been as, a part of the game. As long as there's been signs in any sport, whether it's baseball, football, whatever, there's been people trying to steal them. Now, and it will continue on throughout of time. Exactly, as and it will. Con- sports exist. There will always be some sort of sign stealing that goes on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm now it's it's definitely there's levels of egregiousness to it for sure. And if you're not doing a good job of hiding it, you know, like. It's, it's kind of like in baseball. It's like, right, when you when you get someone on second base, you change your signs up because someone can see your signs, yeah. you know, and like when you're a catcher. And so I think there's levels to it, but it's kind of, again, it's like one of those, it's an unwritten rule more or less. I, maybe there is a written rule, and I, I'm not aware of that, but it, there's I'm, I'm guessing that Maybe. Yeah, I have no idea. But I don't know. Either I, way. I guess I was going to ask that, like, because we're always worried about sign stealing. But, like, where is the actual rule that says you can't do that? Because to me, it almost seems like it's just an edge over your opponent. Well, like, if you, so that's. If that, you were that bad with your signs that it's that easy to be able to figure it out and use it for next week's, you know, game plan. I, I think that's also. A well, so I think the thing is, is it just and I tend to agree, broadly speaking, is that. The crime itself is not that bad. It's the processes that you put in place to achieve it, much like the Astros. Like you said, everyone's trying to steal signs in baseball, but it's the way that you go about doing it. They're sending Connor Stallions to go and videotape like teams when they're playing other people, like Oregon, Washington. You're buying tickets. You watch film of the team playing the other team the, the week before. Yeah, but it's a little different when you're taking a camera into their sidelines and like filming it from the backside of it. And you're ma- again, I again, I don't know that it's that like egregious of a thing to try to steal signs. It's the process in which you go about doing it. Like think- just like just like Spygate with the Patriots, it, it, like they're trying to steal signs, filming somebody's practice. You can't do that. Or like you just can't or do with it. The Patriots, they were like sending people into the video rooms and like dressed and like that's like I think it's, the, yeah, Patriots, it's the, nefarious... the Patriots thing. It was like they were dressing as as staffers from the other team, and that's the same thing with this Connor Stallions guy or whatever. Where like they have the picture of him or allegedly him at Central Michigan, where he's 
on the, the sidelines wearing Central wearing, Michigan gear. Wearing Central Michigan staff gear. Well, okay. And so he, and it's like... Rick Neuheisel had a hot take on that too, which like I said, Rick Neuheisel, I, I like the guy. And he had some very damning comments on that because I think Softy had him on. And it was kind of like, what, like what's, what's the point of that? And uh, what's oh, uh, Jim McElwain is the coach at Central Michigan now. He used to be Florida's head coach. And he was on Michigan's staff in 2015, the first year that Connor Stallions was a part of their staff uh-huh. at Michigan. So, A, he's like, if if McIlwain tries to say that he doesn't know who this person is, he's like, he literally worked on the same staff as him for an entire year at Michigan. So, A, if he tries to say anything about him not knowing who he is or he doesn't know how he got on the sidelines wearing Central, Central Michigan gear, complete BS. So, start there. And like I said... I don't know if on, I agree with on the day, New Heisel on, on this. When you're head coach and you're like. No, it. that's bullshit. That, you'd be like, I didn't recognize this guy that I spent an entire year around. Like, not not the real point. The real point he was trying to make is he's like, there's only one reason why he's there. It's not to steal signs against Michigan State. He probably would have been on the other sideline sitting behind 50-yard line if he was trying to steal He's trying to help Central Michigan win because he's already stolen their signs against Michigan State. And he's trying to help Central Michigan to win because that helps them recruit against Michigan State when they lose. And that so he got sent there, or Jim McElwain asked him to come there so that they could win, so they'd have an advantage to win against Michigan State because that helps Michigan in recruiting. If he has Michigan State signs, so he's... Telling, he already has their signs. So he's, he's trying telling, to help them win. Yeah, so he's, he's not telling, there to steal signs. He's there to help Central Michigan win, to destabilize Michigan State so they can keep recruits from going to Michigan State and keep them going to Michigan. That's an interesting take. Yeah, that Like I said, <laughs> yeah. I, I like Rick Neuheisel. When he said that, I was like, Rick Neuheisel has no filter right now. Like That's a pretty damning accusation if that's how you feel about it. Yeah. like It's one thing to steal signs because we can talk about – how much does that really matter? Whatever. But if you're trying to say that he's, you're literally sending people on your staff to go try to make other programs you go against lose, you're renting them out to go take your stolen signs to them so they can win. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a little more. That's way more that's crazy. That's systematic. Yeah, that's, <laughs> but, like I said, it's not the crime. It's just the process that you use to commit the crime. That's usually worse than the actual crime itself in, like in this situation yeah much like with spygate in the patriots yeah it's like it's the ways that you went about to commit this crime that are actually more nefarious than the end result yeah and that's that's why i just don't think we're gonna find out (laughs) much about it i guess at this point dan patrick brought up an interesting question i can't remember to who um but was asking because i think with all of this going on I still think there's a really good chance that Jim Harbaugh will go coach the Bears next year. Bears need a new head coach. He played for the Bears. I think he's a first-round pick by the Bears back in the day. He sucked because he's not a good quarterback in the NFL. But he has ties to there, and obviously he would be a premier NFL coaching prospect for any team. So does he go Pete Carroll, basically, and sneak out before? So they – or Dan Patrick actually asked the question – because they've done it before to Terrell Pryor, is that if they if they slapped him with something, would the NFL hold up 
those charges, basically. Like, you can hire Jim Harbaugh as your coach, but he's serving a two-year ban. So, basically, you have a two-year show cause. You can hire Jim Harbaugh, but he can't coach your team for two years. NCAA already said that. Yeah, I, I doubt that that would happen just because the NCAA has no power anymore, A. B, he would, again, like I said before, there's going to be probably a year and a half to two years before any of this gets thrown down anyway. So I feel like it's more the Pete Carroll style where you get out just in time to get a new job and then all the allegations fall on the previous, you know, the new, uh, the new uh, head coach and program, you know, and then, and that was basically whoever he asked that question to, he did say basically the, the thing with Terrell Pryor is that his charges air quote were already set by the NCAA. Yeah. So the NFL was like, we will absorb those cause he's already been guilty of his crime. Whereas I think you're right. If they don't, if he signs a contract with the bears prior to any punishment being dealt out, then the NFL won't honor it because it's like, well, he was already a, a part of the NFL and the NFL union prior to you giving these charges. Yeah. So they won't, they won't uphold them. But honestly, that's how it should be though. In my mind, like you said, is it like, does that seem fair that if they end up being like Michigan, you cheated and you have a two year postseason ban, Jim Harbaugh leaves for the bears and goes to coach them that it's like, now it's the new head coaches problem and the players on this team. The guy who at the end of the day, you're the head of the program. You should be really the one that has to, you know, own up to these charges. You get away. No problem. It's everybody else that has to pick up the pieces in your wake. And honestly, uh, to wrap this whole thing up, which is why you're right. They probably won't do anything is if I could bring this whole conversation around, they did the same thing to USC when Pete Carroll left. And I would say is that we didn't really touch on this that much when we talked about the downfall of the Pac-12. That was the real downfall of the Pac-12. They basically gave as close to the death penalty to USC as they could get for Reggie Bush taking improper benefits. And they throttled the premier program of the West, took away their scholarships, banned them, did all of that shit and just drove the Pac-12 down because of it. And now it's not even a conference anymore. Yeah. Big Ten's not going to do the same thing. They're not they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to throttle one of our premier programs over this stuff and set our conference back. Yeah. They might self-impose a bull ban or for a year or two, but I'm I'm guessing they're not going to they're not going to not give scholarships. Yeah, they'll self-impose it when they're five and five yeah exactly and they'll be like yeah, you know what we've cherry, decided they'll cherry pick a year and be like oh yeah this yeah now's the time we're self-imposing a bull ban we're seven seven and five this year yeah time time for some postseason bans yeah wild shit i don't think anything will come of it though i think that's the slaps on the wrist i think it'll be much like major league baseball is they've they've shown the way that uh they'll slap them on the wrist and tell them Hey, stop that. We're watching now, so don't do it anymore. Yeah, and I think the thing with Major League Baseball, too, is that there was plenty of other teams that were doing it as well, 
It's just they had a convenient thing with the Astros being the boogeyman. It's like, oh, it's just this one thing. And then they just, they basically swept it under the rug. Yeah. Like, there wasn't really any real punishment that came out of it besides what, like, was an Alex Cora got, like, a year suspension. <laughs> and and uh, yeah. whatever their A.J. Hinch. Yeah, yeah. and A.J. Hinch got... Got, got a one year ban or whatever just, from like a one year vacation for them and they were back at it. And... Yeah. I, I I was gonna say that too. I'm curious if uh if behind closed doors Mich- Michigan paid out or will pay out this Connor Stallions guy and be like, You have to fall on this sword. So And that would be that was actually gonna and be and the... we'll we'll pay you we'll pay you five million dollars like We'll find the back channels to make it happen, but you're gonna fall on the sword, and you did it on your own. And that that was actually gonna be my final point, and you've already kind of jumped the gun on that or set that up. Is that if that's what they say, that is the most dog shit response you could ever have. Is that Connor Stallions is a rogue agent, and he did it all on his own, and we had no idea. It's just like Joe Paterno having his fucking coach yeah. molest little children. And the locker room is like, you're the head coach of this program. All of the things that you say and do, they all fall under your umbrella. There is no, even if, even if there is some sort of truth to this, that like he was a rogue agent and doing this, it was like, that doesn't matter. You need to run a cleaner program. Then you need to know what's going on. The guy is standing next to your defensive coordinator. So a, that's already a bogus claim, Like he's a rogue agent. And we had no idea this was going on. The guy, they have video of him. He's standing next to the defensive coordinator while they're calling plays. So, like, this wasn't not like the Central Michigan one, which also you still can't really claim, at least based off of how Rick Neuheisel feels about it. Because he can't claim, like, I didn't really know who that guy was. I didn't realize that he was there. It's like, the guy is on film standing in the hip pocket of your defensive coordinator for every game. You can't, te- you can't plead. You're not George Costanza. You can't plead ignorance here. Like, I didn't know that that's what was going on. Like, what do you know that's going on in your program then? How do you run your ship? Cause I know that you preach to your players all the time that you need to be on your P's and Q's and you need to be disciplined. And you need to do that. And you need to keep your house in order. It's like, so what are you doing then? To quote the, the great, uh, man, Ari gold deny till you die. <laughs> And that's what I'd say is that if, if you're, you, you're, if they try to say that, you didn't break any laws, you might, well, that's have, fair. You didn't break any laws. So you're not going to be found guilty of anything in a court of law. So you're only going to be guilty in the court of public opinion, which doesn't really matter. So, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so that's what I'm, I'm Michigan. I'm, I'm telling this guy, you're falling on the sword. We'll pay you off. And, Everyone will get a slap on the wrist, and you'll be—you'll have five million dollars in your pocket, and we'll—and uh, I'll put in a good word for someone to hire you as a, as a whatever defensive assistant in three years down the road, and you can continue your career on, on from there. But for now, well, he won't be able to low. continue his career, I would think. Oh, go to the NFL. He's, Harbaugh's got plenty of NFL ties. There, go go be a go be a coordinator somewhere of some sort in the nfl or whatever or just pay him off and let him ride off into the sunset like in three years no one's gonna give it or three years from whenever allegations come out or whenever like whenever the 
No one's gonna care about that anymore. Yeah, there'll be like, other things. You going can, on yeah, no, completely. no one's gonna be like the Bears just hired the guy that was the the topic of this conversation five years ago. Like, no one's gonna care about that. He can sneak onto some other program and and hands will be squeaky clean. Yeah, that was in summation. That was gonna be my point, though, is that like you said, it's the court of public opinion. Is that the court of public opinion should come up with the verdict that if they try to say rogue agent, if we had no idea, like guilty, that is the most yeah. bullshit that I've ever heard. Yeah. And, and if that's honestly the story that you're going with, then like you're just, you're dog shit, Jim Harbaugh and all that is like, you don't run a clean program. Like you're not trustworthy. Why would you ever believe somebody? I said a lot of times cover ups worse than the crime. If if you just come out, if you come come out and be like, "Yep, like he kind of started doing this. We should have shut it down from day one. That was our fault. We'll do a two year bull ban. Whatever. We made bad decisions. When the second that he came to us with that, we knew it was a bad idea, but we let him go on. Whatever. Blah 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 blah. If you try to be like he's a rogue agent and we had nothing to do with it, that I feel like that's just clown show at that point. How, how could you be a head coach that has complete control of your program and you had no idea? Also, you're going to get exposed anyways is that I still think there's a great chance they're not going to win any games. Outside no, of beating games. the last good team they played was TCU, and they got fucking boat ra- – well, they kind of brought it back at the end. They rope it into the college football playoff thing. Michigan has played nobody. Now they play Penn State and Ohio State in the next few weeks here. So – that won't be the case anymore here in a few weeks, but like outside of Ohio state last year and TCU, they've basically played nobody over their last 20 games and they've dominated them. We'll see how good they are when they aren't stealing signs and they actually play some good teams here down the stretch. I think the real truth of it will come out on the football field. Yeah. And Luke, just like to piggyback off you at the very end of that, that would be such a lame excuse at the end of it. If you're, if you try to be like, Oh yeah, I, didn't know that was going on. Like he was just off the rails. Anyone of that caliber that's running a major football program knows every single minor detail that's going on within that program. Exactly. They control everything, anything from the equipment managers to your starting quarterback. Like they know exactly. They're very particular people and very alpha type people that want control of everything. So there's absolutely no way it'd just be better off. Like you said, just come out with it. Like, yeah, show me the rule book where I can't do that. Like, at the time, like, we were – tell me where I was wrong. Like, we did do yeah. it. And if they're like, right here, that's where it says it's wrong, be like, all right. Shit, now I'm in – like, now I'm pleading okay. ignorance. Yeah, and – No, didn't, yeah. didn't and, look it up. And we'll uh, – yep, and we'll take the penalty, whatever it is, and X, Y, Z. I said, that's just a really craven excuse in my mind. And as far as public that, opinion, like, it's definitely going to get some laughs and, like, some criticism, but I think it would almost be a better response. Like, it would be more publicly accepted if you're just like, yeah, I did it. Like, why would you ever believe anything Jim Harbaugh says if if they if he comes out and he's like, I had no idea this was going on. Like, there's a lot of evidence says that if you didn't know, you should know. I'd have more questions about your judgment as – a coach or a leader or however you yeah, want to player would want to play for a guy that you can't like a trust is a huge thing. Yeah, if you I, can't trust an individual, like do you really want to run through a brick wall for yeah, him? Be like, like 
all this evidence says that you're just a fucking liar if you're saying that this guy is a rogue. Yeah. Or, or you're just that ignorant. Neither of which are very good claims in my mind. I said, a lot of times, cover-up is worse than the crime. You try to do that <laughs> I shit, can, I can also you're more see. guilty for just being a, a lying asshole than you are for being somebody who was trying to get an upper upper hand or create an edge for your team. Nobody's going to fault you for trying to... Be- like I said, Bill Belichick, nobody's saying that he's not the greatest NFL coach. That guy's been caught cheating multiple times. And you and they, whether they want to or not, they kind of open up or like own up to it. They take their punishment and business as usual. Well, I don't think... That guy's just trying to get think, an edge on his opponent. I don't opponent. think that uh, Bill Belichick cl- uh, claimed any admission of knowledge of that happening. I think Bill Belichick said, didn't know what was going on. Yeah, fair enough. So... Yeah. I guess I, I guess I'd have to look yeah, at. I I think that uh, the video guy took all the heat on that one, and other people did. Like I don't think Bill Belichick did. He get one game suspension, maybe. <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess I'd have to. <laughs> I, I guess I'd have to go back into the I archives. I don't think that Bill Belichick took much heat on that one. I think Bill Belichick uh, claimed ignorance. And he's clearly not taking heat today because he's considered the best NFL coach. <laughs> exactly. So I don't. I don't. I mean, he's. Bill Belichick is probably taking some heat now because he's because he's losing, but it, I just uh, but not about that though. Like, yeah, no, yeah, exactly, not about that, not about that at all. No one's talking about that. So I I wouldn't be surprised much like the most recent uh, claims against Jim Harbaugh that he just didn't he didn't cooperate with the investigation. He just said, ah, that's that's dog water." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I think that didn't, was exact words. Yeah, exactly. And then didn't cooperate with it. Who has it better than we do? <laughs> yeah. Nobody. Yeah. It just didn't cooperate. And then they told him he had a three-game suspension because of it. Like, that is probably more realistic. I bet where he's like, I'm just not going to talk to you guys about that. And also, he's already going to be gone to the NFL before they even get to that investigation. So... Yeah, and he'll, that's gonna that's gonna be the real squeaky, shame. He'll come out squeaky clean, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I got on that, though. Yeah. What else you got, Nigel? You got anything else you want to talk about? Any other crazy guys you fought, tried to fight? No, I don't think so. We, I mean, we could talk real quick. Uh, I think we should have let off with this, honestly. But uh, you know, as you're welcome back, we we had a pretty pretty good start to the weekend uh going to some high school football oh we we didn't even talk about that at all we did end up going to a a high school football game uh we went and saw highline play uh stellicum and uh kind of leading up to that for some reason uh i just got home from training and just had a moment that hit me i was like you know what i really want to go see some high school football so i ran upstairs to give luke my brilliant idea and I told him, he's like, dude, I was thinking the exact same thing. So we were on the same wavelengths on that one. Love we that. originally wanted to go out. Hopefully, uh, Ben Murphy and the rest of the crew is still listening at this point. But uh, we were actually wanting to go out to the Salton game. And uh, we discovered it was all the way out in Bellingham. And that's kind of a haul, especially when Nigel was getting off at work around like 6. So probably wouldn't I'd have gotten it. off early for Salton. <laughs> Yeah, still that that's a haul. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, the other issue too is like I don't know. Could you find your Letterman jacket that quick, or do you have it in your closet? Oh, I have it in the closet, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's ready to go. It's it's ready to go. That's a uh, four years baseball letter uh, and three years football letter. Yeah. Uh, if any girls are listening, uh, write that down. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So. He also has a valid driver's license. And so. I was and I was homecoming king, uh, two thousand and eight. Yeah, class of 2008. 2007 was when I was homecoming king. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really dating myself there. Anything else? Um, yeah, I had a mohawk during uh, during homecoming, so that was pretty cool. You're also a cheerleader for a little uh, for a point too. You yeah, get a letter was, for that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't let her in cheerleading, unfortunately. Did you try to uh, say something about that? Like, um, I don't it- think I put enough time into it. I was more in it for cheer camp. Uh, I was talked into and talked into going going to that with a couple of other buddies. Yeah, I must have been a hard talking. <laughs> yeah, it was it was brutal. It was tough. It was a tough week. Uh, Do you want to go to was it Central? <laughs> yeah. You want to go to Central Central Washington University for a long weekend where you'll be one, one of you'll five be in the, straight men. Yeah, you'll be yeah, you'll be in 600. the 5% of men that are there and the 95% high school girls. Yeah. It was, Is that uh, something you'd like to do as a 17-year-old boy? Um, I made that choice to do that, yes, as a 17-year-old boy. Um, being one of five straight men and 600 girls that didn't get to see any other boys. The only time in my life I've been a top five, no matter how you slice it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, with 600, uh, you know... High school girls at the time, like that was that's good odds for me. Yeah. So, have you considered going back <laughs> as an instructor? Absolutely. <laughs> no, not as an instructor. As as a student, I have. I, yeah. Yeah. The, I, I haven't checked on of, my eligibility recently, but I'm not sure if I uh, would qualify. Based off of the cheers from the Highline High School cheer squad, nothing's changed. So I'm sure you still know all the cheers. That's true. I I do know most of the, most of those cheers. I think they threw a little. You know, that's what I was also. Little alterations. I was most there. shocked by that. That after all these years, and we go and like go to a high school football game, that the, like cheers the cheers are the exact that... cheers I remember hearing when I was playing high school. Football. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, you don't want to mess with a good thing, Tan. Uh, keep going off of the build uh, the build up for this whole story. You know, something that I really. Uh, come to appreciate in that moment was how good Salton High School's marching band was during high school games. Yeah, there wasn't much of a band presence that night. No, and like actually like there was a period of time that my dad and I were going to a lot of high school games and like we would just choose a game in the week and we would go to it. Like there's no particular team that we were following. And that's something I've always like noticed is that Salton really had that dialed in. I mean obviously they were recognized for it during that time. Things like I, what's the state competition for high school football or for high school marching band? I don't know really I, what yeah. there is, but I remember Salton was like up there in the rankings. I, I don't know. I wasn't a fucking nerd. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but thanks yeah, for asking. Yeah, so, yeah I well, will say to be the, fair, the atmosphere of of like our high school football games as a two A school compared to the couple of other two A high school games I've been to over the years. It was pretty good. It, it, it was like, pretty it electric, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, exactly. It was pretty good. And they actually put on a halftime show and everything like that, and they were yeah. they were solid. So, so shout out to Michael Tran and the, all those nerds back in yeah, the day. The that Sumters were... and uh, yeah. Well, not to go too far too far down a different rabbit hole, but I feel like that was a little bit of a point of contention even back then. Is that part of that? Is that the band program got a ton of money at Salton High School? Yeah, that is how they were able to support that. Whereas, like, most 2A schools, which Salton was on the lower end of a 2A school, but I'm sure much like Highline, because 
that's a whole other point too, is that I was kind of realizing when we were there is that what do they have? 15, 20 kids on their bench. Yeah. If, like it yeah. looked more like Salton high school of more recent. Too. Yeah. Both sides, like of more recent years where it's like, you know, things, you know, your perspective changes when you get older, but it's like, I feel like I remember going to Salton high school games when we were younger and the team was filled out a bit more. Yeah. Might right, not have right. been the, the biggest, most talented players, but you know, you have another 30, 40 bodies on the sideline. Like you have a team that actually has like 50 kids on the team yeah. where that Highline team probably had 35 kids on the team. Yeah. Well, and that's I mean, probably including some freshmen there that are never going to play because they're too small to be playing varsity football. Yeah. But I mean, I even think about like even our era of playing like the mid era, like freshmen didn't play. Like they didn't play varsity. Like it was yeah. an honor. They wouldn't even suit up. And yeah. It got- was. Like, you got to like, go to put do on stats, a like two or three of you, oh, like would get to go do stats, but that was, that was it. Well, it was like a chosen thing. Like if you did well at the JV level, because I remember like one week I got to like wear a jersey and stand on the sidelines. But yeah, but nowadays, like I'm not a hundred percent sure, but the little that I keep up with, like Salton High School, like anybody they can get. Like, throw it out there because it's just they don't have the numbers anymore. Yeah. But I remember, like, back in the day, it seemed like it was – and, again, it's a different perspective, you know, 14, 15 years old compared to a 32-year-old man now, but – or thirty-two year old boy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> man don't child. Don't want to hype myself. Like yeah, man much. child. Yeah. But uh, it just seemed like it was just – I don't know. It seemed like there were so many guys back then, like, yeah, I don't know. And, and some size, too. I mean, that's the other thing, too. It's like, you look at these kids now, it looks like they're just so small playing at that level. I just seem like we... That's probably a perspective thing. I guess Partially, so. is like, that kids, yeah, you're a kids seem now. a lot bigger when you're 15 years old and your starting middle linebacker is 5'10", 170 pounds. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's a meat in the middle. And then now you see it as an adult and you're like... I would crush that child because <laughs> yeah. I'm 200 pounds of fucking twisted, <laughs> twisted steel and sex appeal. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I do think that's a perspective thing because like all of us were, you're just a child at that point. You don't know the. I don't know. I just remember like walking into that room and seeing like a Beau Shampoo. Like that dude looked like a middle linebacker and he was playing quarterback. That's true. I mean, the, and like the they, offensive line, there were I definitely like they, like, they were some meat. Every I feel was, like every offensive lineman was over 200 pounds. My yeah. senior year, like I was a buck 75. <laughs> I was I say, yeah, or no, I think I hit up to 190 at that point, but still. Generally were, considered undersized. For I mean, an John Murphy lineman. wasn't wasn't that big. Shout out Murph. Shout out Murph. What up, Murph? I bet you're listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's up, Murph? Uh, yeah, if you've made it to the, <laughs> if you made it to, to hour the, two, if you hit it the witching <laughs> yeah. hour, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the unhinged uh, portion of this podcast. To bring it back to the Stillicum Highline game, though, is that that was the interesting portion of that game. Is that uh, looking at them standing on the sidelines? I would have thought that Stillicum, uh, we knew the records. That Highline was eight and one this year. They had a good season. Yeah. Stillicum actually had some big boys. Their quarterback was big. They had a wide receiver that was easily 6'3 and yeah. pretty thick. Yeah. They had a couple offensive – and they played both offensive line and defensive line that looked big. Highline looked small. But they got hard. They were explosive, though. Yeah, they, were. they had a lot of explosive plays. Every guy that they handed the football off to 
on mostly run plays. They had that one big pass that happened early. That was like an 80 yard touchdown, which was pretty sweet. Like right when we sat down. Yeah, basically. Which was pretty cool. Yeah, they got a fourth down stop and then they instantly aired it out and got like an 80 yard touchdown, which was cool. But they handed it off. They had like two or three guys they handed the ball off to in the backfield every time. Those they were pretty small, but they were fast and shifty and they made guys miss. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> Yeah, but to, to go back to the actual game that we went to. So it was really cool. I mean, to go back, see the Friday Night Lights, get up in the stands. And like you said, the first thing we saw was a goal line stand where Highline ended up getting the ball back. And then immediately, that was the play, right, where they threw like the 30, 40-yard pass and he ran at house. Yeah, yeah, 30, 40 air, area. And, he also, air, yeah, air. and the quarterback also got like, like pulled down on that almost, like swung around and then got out of the pressure and then chucked it, chucked it downfield. That yeah. That was, was, was probably the highlight of the of the game, and it was one of the first plays we saw. Yeah, something I noticed that, you know, going back to that was, I mean, it, was, it didn't take a freaking, you know, NFL scout to figure this out, which as a side note to that as well, I think something that we really need to jump on is to start wearing some random school's apparel when we go to these and just carry a clipboard around just to see the parents' reactions because, I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, we needed the stopwatch and just. <laughs> yeah. 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 We said parent, that as soon as we split ways. Parents like, of a student like, athlete, I mean, they're definitely going to be coming over and like buying you a hot dog or something and like wanting yeah. to talk you up. Yeah. Just start like, yell, like talking really loudly and be like, I had him on a 4 2 on that or something, you know, like something. Or maybe like put the clipboard yeah. like side of your mouth like you're whispering something to Luke, but really yeah. you're just saying like, hey, give me a rogie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I mean, really, where Highline they had a good tempo the entire time. But on the other side with Stellacom, that was almost unbearable to watch at times. These guys would come out and like I'm pretty sure they got away with like at least two, three, four delay of games, and then finally the refs were catching on to it. But coach would call a play, and then the quarterback would sit there and do his cadence, and then. Stop in the middle and just like it seemed like every single play looking on the sidelines looking for some audible audible and it's like dude just run the play yeah like just get a play going I think that's what really killed their tempo was just every single drive it would I mean their one touchdown that they had towards the end of the game that was like a ten minute drive yeah it felt like it it was I don't even think it was feeling like it I think it truly was like seven eight nine minutes of a drive well they had still come had one drive in the second quarter going into halftime they used all three of their timeouts on one offensive possession yeah because they just like couldn't get the play in and figure it out which i said at the end of the day that their quarterback was huge they had a wide receiver it's huge i would think you'd just be like the wide receiver on both like both wide receivers are pretty good size yeah so you think at some point be like so here's the play run downfield and i'm gonna lob one up to you yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the guy that, you know, number 13, that bigger wide receiver, like they threw him one fade pass where it was just a jump ball and he re- he got it. And I mean, it's like, you should have kept trying that, but I don't know. Just like, I think the coach on the, on that sideline thought he was like a super genius and like read, <laughs> yeah. read high school defenses, but like really had no idea what was going on. Yeah. It sure seemed like there was a lot of, lot to do for, and not very like it was either it was either a dive right up the middle like if it was a run play or it was like if he threw it to the right side it was a comeback and he threw it to the left side it was a fade it was like that was 
I think he threw like one slant route to the guy on the left side, and I'm sure there was another route or two to the guy on the other on the right side. But it was like, you know, 45, 50, 60 seconds in between each play with like fake the you know fake the clap snap, look over to the sidelines, recall the play, and then. <laughs> yeah, you think like, for a guy that's just really like trying to a... read a defense and like change up the plays, they would have a little bit more than like the same four plays. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was also shocked that considering the only it's ran, high school, but like they only ran four plays. I would have thought my first play in my playbook is that you have a quarterback that I'm just gonna guess was six three, two hundred pounds. Like he was a big kid. Yeah, I would just be running him up the middle. Yeah, every yeah. time QB QB dive. Yeah, every other play. Uh, maybe the kid didn't like to run or whatever. He wasn't that talented of a runner would never know. Cause they didn't do it, but he was arguably the biggest kid on the field was the quarterback for still come. And I didn't see him do one QB dive or even some RPO, you know, throw that in there too. Like yeah. make the defense second, second guess what's going on. I mean, all this to say, I'm getting my resume ready. Cause I think still come is looking for a new OC. <laughs> Honestly, like if we could just like, if money wasn't an issue, you didn't have to work. That would be my dream job right there. Go the three of us running a high school coach. football program. Well, if Murph's listening, maybe he's looking for some help. <laughs> I don't know. Seems like a good time to me just to run your own program because I feel like we would have the most dominant school since uh, since the uh, Odessa the Panthers. Panthers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All that so we can go lose the state championship to Dallas o- Carter. Odessa Permian. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think you're on to something, though. We probably got to start at the youth level, though. We should probably get a Berean youth team that we we start uh, recruiting for. I think that's a great idea. Get get on the like Snoop Dogg train. Get the get the youths all for the kids. Yeah, the problem is that, and I'm sure Highline has this problem. I know very little about the high school football season or scene in these parts, but I'm guessing all of the best players around here go to Kennedy Catholic and not Highline. And that's why you're seeing a team that does not have that many players and not many big players. Yeah. Sure, if there's any good players that are in the area, Kennedy Catholic scoops them up. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, it's about a three-minute drive away. So Yeah. But either way, it was, it was a lot of fun. And you know what? You know what was, the I think, the most important thing about that game? Was that uh, just like every high school football game I've always I've been to? There was the one dad who was obnoxious there. Was there a dad who's obnoxious? <laughs> who didn't rear his head until the very end, pretty much? But he was like, when they're up, when they were up by like Highline was up by like thirty at that point, almost or twenty, you know, twenty something, and they they ran a, like a screen pass, and the dad's like, "That's a shit play call," and then they like <laughs> did another like. They did another play. Was Highline calling this? Was Highline on offense or? Yeah, Highline was on oh, offense, okay. and, and the dad starts starts stealing the show. It was it was pretty awesome. I, I wasn't. I, really I must have missed that because I mean I I did hear somebody kind of hollering, but I thought it I don't was... know how you missed that. It was hard to miss. <laughs> I think I want to give out one more baloney sandwich though. I want I want to give it out to the Salt and Turks because I I mean I haven't really been honestly paying attention like that closely in the last few years, especially when they dropped down to one A. Lame. Um, but honestly, like a six and three season for a school out and like for Salton to do that, like it's pretty cool to see. And like it looked like they are were somewhat of a playoff contention team. They end up losing to Bellingham, but 
I don't know. Pretty cool to see the hometown finally get it together. All I remember during my day was two and eight records. So um, something kind of exciting and new to see. Definitely. Hopefully next year, maybe they can keep that train rolling and maybe we can go out and we can be the, uh, the, the podcast can be the number one media outlet or whatever you want to call it for, for Salton high school. Yeah, we'll do so. We'll do a Salton High Media Day. We can have like the fifth quarter, and like we can do the post game show for Salton High School. <laughs> Love that idea. <laughs> if they'll have us, Ben Murphy already said we were welcome to show up. He wanted That's us right. to come out to the media day. And now we, this high school season really got away from me. I feel like because I we were talking about it earlier in the year, and yeah, well, we saw we saw the turkeys at uh at the at, at the, the spring, spring game. game exactly, and then. And then had it had it in my mind that I wanted to go out there at, at least once this season, and then life comes at you fast sometimes. <laughs> so uh, always next year. So I think the uh, the last piece of housekeeping, in case we didn't talk about in the last episode, I think Luke's gonna double check before he actually posts uh, this to the episode. But looks like you guys got a dub in the championship. Looking at two champions right now, underdog sports. Volleyball, co-ed, what divi- is there a division in this? Mid-core. Mid-core. Mid-core champion. Which is the highest level of competition underdog offers. Yes. They didn't come home with any kind of trophy, but they did come home with some swaggy uh, uh, wristbands that I haven't seen yet. But I haven't, ho- I haven't heard the entire battle story, so why don't you go ahead and tell me. <laughs> Well, first off, uh, there were there's the trophies are the wristbands and a seventy five dollar voucher for this season. So, uh, which I told Nigel the <laughs> second he told me that is like if I if I knew that we were going to get a discount on the next underdog session that we played in, if we won a championship, I would have tried way harder <laughs> <laughs> this entire time. <laughs> I'm out here making. I, bi- I'm out I here making business. Ten dollar over the course of the season. I'm making yeah. business decisions out on the court, but the biggest <laughs> business decision would be saving ten dollars over the course of six weeks. Tell me, I can save ten dollars on this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you know me, you know I like a good a good <laughs> coupon or discount. So give me the vibe. Give me the scene. What, when you walked in that day, what was what, what were you looking at here with the competition? I'll get I'll give you the vibe in the first game, and then I'll let Nigel take us home. So the way the format goes, right? We we played the week before, and I think that that was the last time we had recorded. Whoop some ass in the week before, and then basically you play the the semifinals, and if you win that, then you play the finals right after that. And we got our opponent for the semifinals. And I'm not going to lie to you, Tanner. I was looking at him. I was like, we are going to need our best game possible in order to beat this team. They had three dudes on their team that were probably 6'4", 6'2", 6'2". I don't think any of them were were short at all. And one of them was really tall. And the other two were both well over six feet tall. Yeah. Which is tough when you only have one guy on your team that's 6'3", being Nigel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When Nigel's the tallest guy on your team, I mean, he makes up for it with uh, elite athleticism. But, again, there's still there's still something to be said about a five-inch height uh, disadvantage, I guess. But And then on top of that, the girls on their team, they had a girl who ended up being their best player by far, who was probably about as tall as I am. So almost six feet tall, probably. And then two other girls that weren't tiny, but 
you know, nothing to write home about. But also about. could swing. One also, of them could swing. Also good enough players, but, yeah. you know, not not short. They're still probably 5'7", yeah. which is pretty tall by female volleyball standards for underdog midcore, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but but they had the one girl that, yeah, was close to six feet tall, and then all their dudes, and I look at him was like, it's just one of those that, looking on, on paper, looking at the stats, I was like, these guys are going to be a problem. Also uh, worthy of noting that we played the entire season with only five players uh, this year, or that session, instead of the usual six. So we played down a player every single week. Yeah, so it was 5v6 well. five five the five, entire season. 5v6 the entire season. Who is missing? Sarah K. Mm. German Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Dancing Sarah. Dancing Sarah. Dancing Sarah. Yeah, and she was sorely missed, but... There, there is some value. We've talked about this before. Is that in this format, I definitely think we're a better offensive team when there's only five, because then Maddie and I are two primary offensive players. You just cycle faster back to the front, but you're always going to miss something defensively because you don't have that six person on the court. So, double-edged sword. You get a little better offensively when there's less people, but you lose a lot defensively but i'll keep it short in this first game i said it's very very uh worried on paper looking at it and i would definitely say that our team is kind of the uh opposite of that i think if you look at our team on paper is that if we're all jokes aside nigel is not the tallest player on the team it's probably (laughs) it's probably me or maddie I don't know. We'd have to go back to back, but you know, we're talking five ten at the tallest, basically on our team. Nobody over six feet. Uh, Sarah, one of the girls on our team, not Sarah K, is also about as tall as Maddie and I are. So, but we're talking three players that are five ten. Being our, we don't look like we're the most uh, intimidating team on paper, but we play well together and we know how to actually play and work off each other. We absolutely dusted them. I think the first game was a little closer, and it was like 25 to 15. And the second game, I think, was 25 to 9. No uh, no, uh, no false humility here. I think I had 15 points in each game off of service runs. I basically started each game up 8-0, mostly aces, because I'm usually the first person who serves. Not usually. I am the first person who serves on our team. Serve was just dialed in. They couldn't handle it. And it was just an absolute ass whooping both games. But they were really nice. And they, they took their ass whooping very kindly. I was dialed setting-wise that day as well. So much so that the guy who was on the other team, he came and played with us in the third game. He looked looked pretty shaky most of the time. As soon as I started setting him, he was fucking. Oh, that was it. yeah, and that that really is that really is uh, the real point to a lot of a lot of the volleyball we play against other teams is that we really just expose them that they don't know how to they either don't know how to pass to their setter very well they don't know or they don't know how to set. This team is a prime example. Like I said all of their players were six two or taller. All of their men, at least, their best player was their girl. She was their best hitter. But, yeah, we the last game, like I said, it was 6v5. 
you don't have to play the last game at that point because we'd already won. We're like, we'll play again. Like, just stay loose. Stay warm. And one of the guys on their team was like, oh, because one of the girls on our team wanted to sit and rest. Two of them did, actually. Two of them did. But, yeah, so it was just going to be 3v6. And so one of the guys was like, I'll play on your team. Instantly, Nigel hits him with a perfect set, and he absolutely hammers one. (laughs) Like, he he had zero of those against us. I'm like, right, okay, that was what I was worried about pregame is that this guy was going to do that to us, like get a set and just absolutely hammer it. And as soon as he played on our team, he started hammering his own team with a bunch of big hits. We're like, see, here's your problem. You don't know how to sounds facilitate like you, to your teammates. Sounds like you guys need to do some recruiting. You should have just took that guy like, hey, you looking for a new squad or a new squad next We don't need another up? guy. Yeah, we don't need more dudes. That's the problem. You can only have three on the court That's right. in that league, so – we're already yeah. we're already, we already, already we already have guys in the hopper. We got Max, who was on our team before. We got you. We got you. Max broke his wrist right before the playoffs in outdoor. We talked about that prior. And then we also have Phil, who could come play, and he's six eight. He tore his Achilles last year. He tore his Achilles last he has year. Some tanner, watch your extremities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Whoever's our our fourth dude, oh, my brother who broke his wrist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So uh, bad luck to yeah, bad yeah, luck to be our our, <laughs> our male, male alternate sub. Yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll let Nigel take us to the championship, though. First round, like I said, we kind of absolutely dominated. And they they were a cool team though they they took it in stride as they should yeah and then second or finals more of the same story realistically we we had played this team the last week of the regular season they were the number they were the number two seed coming in and we had beat them we had beat them on in the last week of the of the regular season we also we we beat them. In a comeback fashion as well, the first the first time when we played them because we only had uh, four players show up and so we had uh, Abby Luke's girlfriend step in on the court so we had an extra body or enough bodies to be out there and we were down like fifteen to five and came. It wasn't that bad. (laughs) It felt like it was that bad. It was like it was like nine to two to start. Okay, nine to two and then and then our other player got there and we came all the way back and and beat him. But anyway, championship game. We since we'd played them already kind of had a bit of an idea of what they like to do, which uh for one was they have a, they have a guy who can set on their team, but he likes to he like to kind of push it over sometimes and try to try to catch us in the in the hole that we had on defensively, which he got us against us a couple times when we played him the first time. But we were ready for it this time. Uh, I was dialed. Yeah, yeah. Nigel did a good job of reminding me. He's like, remember, this guy likes to pass on two, and I'm usually in the back row because he would be he, yeah, in the front row the setting, and I'm usually in the back row playing kind of like rover position. And credit to Nigel, he did a good job. He's like, remember, this guy's going to try to pass on two. So I just had my eyes dialed on this guy the entire time, and he kept trying to and, pass and it tra- over. The first time he tried to do it, Luke was like, Get that shit out of no, here. No, 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 was that later? No, 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 no. He tried to do that a couple times, and I and I popped each of them up, and then I got to the front row, and he was setting in front of me because he was, like, yeah, in the front right position, and he tried to do, a, like, a setter dumper, like, pass it, 
And I went up and I blocked it right, right back in his face. And I was like, get that weak shit out of here. Yeah, that was right. game That's one. Right. I let him I let him know. And then I think it really rattled him because it was like kind of a cagey game up until that point. Yeah. I like to think that that little bit of shit talking, it kind of rattled rattled their cage a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had, and I feel like there was a, I'm trying to remember the exact point that this happened, but if it was the first game or the second game, but I feel like we had a, like a controversial point call on one of those two that then we kind of broke ahead, but I'm, I'm not remembering the specifics on that. But, but the other part that I do remember is that uh, I think it was in, I can't remember if it was the first game or the second game, um, their best hitter came up and he had hit a couple pretty pretty well on us and then i i told you like that he when he's gonna oh, when yeah. he's gonna tip it he stomps to like to he would go like he would go he, in like double like stomp his, hard, it is like, approach yeah, yeah it is approach he'd go like one two and then like stomp his feet to like make it he seem was, like he's gonna like, like he was jumping up. off a trampoline <laughs> like yeah. stomp both of his and then feet. he would tip and so it was like i got his tell and so i told luke when he this guy was right there and so then he was trying to like do that and hit hard and he couldn't do it and he hit into the net like three times in a row after that mm. because he was like trying to not like do that and and once, hit hard. Yeah, once his tail got exposed, he yeah. was trying to like so it was just switch like, up off of it and try to like jump hard and then actually swing and it he just was all in his head about it. Yeah. Well, it just seems like borderline sign stealing there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right? a tell. Yeah. Those are fine. You can pick yeah. those up by watching film. Yeah, exactly. I watched my game film just like on the uh the guy that was going to push. I knew I knew what these guys wanted to do to win. So, that was uh yeah, and I, I, I think the first game was KG. Second game started KG, and we just kind of broke ahead and and ended up winning. I don't know, five, six points, something like that. I think it was even more, more than that. that. It might have been like twenty-five, seventeen, final score, somewhere in there. So we we pushed ahead and pushed ahead and got the dub. Proved that we were the better team. So you only had to play two games, like the first. Yeah, game it was best of it was best of three. So we it was best we of three. Those. So no, no, no. I mean, like you only had to go against one opponent. For like a semifinal, then right into the championship that day. We played yeah. the week before, okay, and then played the first leg of the playoffs. Yeah. That was the one seed versus the eight seed. We beat them like twenty five to seven. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah, they 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 were yeah, bad. The they were seed, bad. We the absolutely... eight seed played like a game right before us, so it was like a they whoever it was like eight nine seed got to have a a play in game to come get smashed by us, which we obliged, and then. <laughs> And then uh, played semifinal final. Gotcha. So that was the with this group. That was our first underdog win. I have one prior from from before we got this crew together that we've been playing with for five years now, six years now, something like that. It was really satisfying. Oh yeah, it was great. It was haven't haven't we've like, had a lot we've, of we've, we've been in the we've, we've been lost in the, semifinals, in the final yeah. in finals many times in these leagues but it hadn't hadn't got over the hump and so that was that was fun to to finally finally get the dub the last time i think we were the t- the last time we were a one seed that we had a really good chance at it was when i i popped my calf in the middle of the first game of the mm. of the the uh, first the first cor- week correction it was it was the second game cuz like we were saying before is that we were like 
the we were like the one. I just seed mean or the whatever. first the first night. It was like they, first the eight seed. Uh, well, or whatever. but but they had to forfeit the first game because yes. their team didn't show up on time. Yeah, it wasn't in the. So we were, already had one game in the bag, and then we're playing game two, and we're up like fourteen to five. Yeah, and then Nigel pops his calf, lost that game. We're playing four v six at that point. Nigel pops his calf, lose that game, lose the next game, out. Yeah. Injuries, man, you don't think it in volleyball, but apparently it happens a lot. Yeah, no kidding. Not to me. I'm out here making business decisions, keeping my body at temple. So you found about that ten dollar discount. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, now Stay it's tuned now it's tomorrow. on. Yeah. So do you guys foresee a two peat coming up? Well, we didn't do a good job week one because we lost. Although that team was really good. That yeah, we, we faced a, we faced a really good team this last or the first game of this last session, which I would imagine is probably going to be a, a top seed, <laughs> just based off how you know what we've seen in that league before, talent wise. Like we could have beat them easily. We didn't play very well. I think Luke and I were. I know I I was, I was feeling we were both sick. I was, uh, yeah, Maddie I was, was Maddie was sick the week before at the at the the finals and he played he played fine but both Luke and I were sick and then we still were playing with five for the for this first week at least and so at least the the first game or the first game and a half I was feeling like shit and then once got through like a game and a half then I was like sweat out whatever shit I was feeling like but I know I was feeling like trash the beginning of those those games not that that's an excuse we still could have beat them and i think we we won one we won one yeah, uh, i think we lost 25 23 game one yeah. and then we lost like 25 to 17 game two we didn't really have a good game yeah and then we won the last game yeah so we at least got one but a little bit of a championship hangover yeah. i think from uh from the few nights before but Hopefully, hopefully this will be a, a two-peat. We'll say, won't go into the specifics of it, but yeah, that, that championship night, that is easily the best that our team has ever played, at least in indoor. Yeah. Like, it, it was just... Everyone was dialed. Per- perfect night to have the best game, the best games of our team's history. Everybody was playing super well. No bad touches. Everything was going our way. We even won... I knew we were going to win because yeah. we won a bunch of like I jungle ball this, but... ones where it's just like these crazy touches and then we have no business getting over and then we end up winning the point. Cause... The, the first game of the championship was like KG game, like Luke said, and we finished it on one on a point. It was 24-23 where they like spiked it down hard on Sarah and and the ball just came to me like in the corner and I just left-handed like just – reacted and hit like a perfect like dip ball down for for a kill oh whoa 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 that's not what happened you hit it at me and i fucking keyholed it over my shoulder wasn't that the winner No, that wasn't the winner winner was mine you had one that was another point in there also in that game we had we had another one that that luke luke hit on too but like the winning point nigel basically slapped it right at my face and i keyholed it right over my shoulder for a kill Mm. yeah it was awesome (laughs) yeah we had two but that was just the night that we were having yeah that it was was like one of those nights. just getting sloppy points left like we had a lot of really good points or really clean like bump set hit but then anytime that there was some like crazy hit over we just somehow got the ball up 
and scored on those like every time. It was just one of those nights. Yeah. That's awesome. So hopefully we don't need a bunch of crazy points to win this championship, but that's usually how it goes though. Is that like, yeah. you gotta just need them to fall your way. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta be on point when you have your opportunities and then you gotta squeeze out some points when you have some kind of lucky plays fall your way. All right, boys. I think that's going to be a wrap, right? That's a wrap. Congratulations. Stoked for you guys. I'm going to be out there for your game tomorrow. Although, this is at the community college, right? Their seating sucks. I like your church better because they actually have the bench and stuff you can sit at. <laughs> yeah, you, you can walk around with the clipboard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can uh, you can bring some uh, bring some camping chairs and post them up there. There you go. Yeah, I'll be out there tailgating before you guys even show up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that. But uh, yeah, uh, for the listeners, either fortunately or unfortunately, I'm back. Should be on the show a lot more consistently again, and uh, we'll keep this thing running. And uh, next week we'll have an update to see how the boys are doing in volleyball and what the Seahawks might come up with if they can bounce back from their from their terrible loss. See if the Huskies can keep the good times rolling. But uh, yeah, Hayes in the barn for now. So see ya. See ya. See ya. Hello, my friend.